Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new edition of the Elite Beat, your source for all the AEW news, reviews, and previews. My name is Andy. Sitting right next to me here at this dining room table is Jenny. Hello. And 101 miles to our southwest, that's Megan. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. We're, uh, we're doing this. This has got to be one of the earliest in the morning times we've ever recorded the show. It's 10, 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning. I think the only the only other time I could even think, and I can't verify, but may have been this early, is one of the pay-per-views, right? Like the, one of those damn Sunday pay-per-views. <laughs> <laughs> That's possible. That's possible. <laughs> um, but we do not have a pay-per-view to cover today, thank God. We've, we've just got a, a Dynamite. The final... This is, not only was this the final Friday Night Dynamite, this is also the final pandemic era dynamite because after this they're all live and after the after two more episodes they're all out of daily's place for the time being that's weird to think about i'm going to miss daily's place but it's going to be it's going to be interesting and i got to say i'm very annoyed by the piped in piped in stuff audio this week again because they they push it they don't just do clapping. They do, they do chance. It was very overpowering. Chance. It was very yeah. overpowering. We will, we will get to all of it, uh, but we will begin with uh, the same way we begin every episode, uh, except for when we wish Justin Shapiro a happy birthday next month, uh, with the Elite Beat Pop of the Week. Jenny, we, uh, even though it's 10 o'clock. We're drinking. <laughs> we're drinking. We're drinking sparkling wine. And can you tell us what we have? Well, we have a Prosecco. Uh-huh. It's a, it's called Perlage. Yes. And um, it's a DOCG, which mean, which is the highest of the Italian governmental regulations, regulations yeah. for wine. Yeah. There's DOC and then there's DOCG, which is a, a step above that. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's get that pop. My tool. You don't have your champagne tool? You want me to do it? Do you do it? <laughs> Tough to watch. Tough to watch. Nice. That was good. That was a hell of a loud sound. I'm glad you guys are getting your alcohol on because I, you mentioned how early it was, and I was worried that meant <laughs> that it was not going to be a thing because I definitely have my Kroger on sale mom. Oh, how go. is that still a thing? How have you not bought all the mom yet? Well, I'm trying to be fiscally responsible um, and just get it one at a time. I, I think they must be defective because the one I got today, I took the, you know, the top paper off and there was, it was like double wrapped. Like I took the first layer, I, I you know, the little pool tab, I opened that yeah. and then underneath there was more foil with another pool tab. <laughs> so huh. I'm like, what's going on, mom? So I don't know. You know, Megan, we were walking around yesterday morning. Uh, Jenny and I were in the like the uptown area of our of our where our new neighborhoods or our new our new town's going to be, and we passed uh, like kind of a knickknack shop, and there was like the most normie T-shirt you've ever seen, but it was like it was like a pretty good one uh, yeah. that said uh, it was a ladies tee that said. I drink coffee until it's acceptable until it's late enough in the day for it to be acceptable for me to drink wine or something like that. Oh God, it's so normy, but like 
Yeah. Jenny and I have definitely been in that place before. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think it's pretty acceptable to drink champagne pretty early in the day. Like, I'm thinking, like, 7 o'clock. I mean, like... <laughs> I, I would, like... Uh, if someone would serve you a mimosa at 7 o'clock, you'd drink it? Hell yeah. I mean, I get up at, like... 6, 6.30 every day, like... I guess that's true. I could, I could start drinking champagne at 7. Yeah. Yeah, as Jenny has explained in the past, if it's acceptable to have a mimosa, it's also acceptable to just remove the orange juice part because it's basically the same thing. It is. Basically. No, I would never drink red wine that early. That's heavy. That's intense. But champagne is all day, all weather, all occasion, all wonderful. It's basically Jenny's water, <laughs> is what she's saying. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to pop this because I see you two pouring your, your champers in there. So here we go. Ooh, that sounded good. That one was tough, but not as tough as the recent ones to open. So I don't good. I don't know if that means good or bad, but it sounded fun. They've still been tasting okay, right? Yeah. I just think that Kroger is, there's something weird going on. They're trying to unload them. And, not gonna and the bubbles complete. are fine too? Yeah, they seem to be. Then I think you're good. I think that's good wine still. Because when champagne goes bad, it's first can be seen there's a bubble issue. So we actually got, well, the, our listeners know, we had a bottle of Ruin Art for my champagne bet winning. Yeah. <laughs> and clearly the place I bought it from had not properly stored it. And it, like, had bubbles when you first poured it, and then all of the bubbles went away. So it was just basically, like, drinking, like, a flat, regular rosé, which is fine, but that's not really what I'm there for. That's not what I signed up for. Yeah. Today. So I think if you still got bubbles and it still like doesn't smell like it's moldy, which would mean it would be corked, then um, you're good. Like the cork would smell moldy. Oh, I. I can have it right here. No, it smells fine. So it smells good. fine. Healthy bubbles. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna enjoy this on sale bottle of mum and not question it. Our Prosecco is good. It's crisp. It's crisp. It's a little bit sweeter than we normally do, but I guess that's okay because it's morning. (laughs) And it's got some, like, apple (laughs) apricot pretty strong hints. Do you agree? Yes. Yes, I would. Now, I know no one else who listens to this podcast watches the Real Housewives franchise, but I do. (laughs) And there was some pretty important champagne news that happened this week on The Housewives. Okay. So, Heather Dubrow is returning to the OC Housewife franchise. I always loved Heather. She, I love anyone who truly loves champagne. And Heather does. It's it's constant. She calls it champs, which, you know, I think is whimsical. And, uh, you know, she, she's always drinking it. She's always talking about it. She's always enjoying it. She's always offering it to people. So She's, she's a champagne advocate. She is a champagne advocate. Um, Thank God we need allies anywhere we can find them. Yes. So they have fired the most horrendous person. Well, 
I guess you can't really say that because there are, there's Trump. Um, but Kelly Dodd, they fired. Thank God. She's awful. And she became even more awful when she uh, married a Fox Newser. So, yeah. And she did. Uh, so Heather DeBrow does have her own sparkling wine called Colette um, after her one daughter's name. And they named it after the daughter because her name sounded French, which I felt was a little weak. But, like, I've not tried it. It is French. I don't know if they named her that because it's French, but that's a French name. <laughs> did, they, did they name the daughter after the author of Gigi? Maybe. I love Gigi. Yeah. Gigi. Okay. Um, anyway, I'm excited to have Heather back. I'm excited for some champagne forward episodes and i can actually re like begin watching the oc housewives again because i have not been able to watch it for the last two years right because of kelly dodd and also everyone else on the show well cheers everyone elite beat pop the week what's wrong what's wrong do you think i do you think i I hustle you along too fast you did i let you i let you talk for a long time about heather dubrow (laughs) i saw his eyes glaze over just immediately upon starting into Housewife Talk. All right, so now let's talk about uh, something Jenny doesn't care about, AEW. <laughs> All right. We start with uh, Being the Elite, episode 260, You Broke My Face, was the title of the episode. And uh, Megan, any any general thoughts on uh, this edition of the, of the, of the vlog? Uh, I had questions about Impact. Are they filming at Daly's place? What what match did we see where the Young Bucks ran out to save Kenny Omega and also Sammy Callahan was there? Okay, I have news on this. Let me see. Uh, I've got a... Uh, I've got, I got a news note. I, I thought maybe with Don Callis being so close with TK that that's kind of... It was an exchange of service, you know? Like, here you can use our venue. But I also yeah. wasn't sure... What was going on there? Okay, so what was going on there is that. Hold on. I had it. Oh, this is frustrating. I was trying to stretch for you, bro. Trying to stretch. That's okay. Okay. This is this is real. Okay, so Impact uh, had a special on their Impact Plus streaming service, um, which is it's like. It's not a pay-per-view, but it's like, you know, if you if you sign up for there, it's like $8 a month for the Impact Plus service, and, and you get a couple, like, a few specials a year as part of that. Um, I think you get a, maybe a discount on pay-per-views. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't ever subscribed to it. But uh, so this was called Against All Odds, and the gimmick of it was, so obviously, as you know, Kenny Omega is the Impact World Champion, and he was making his first title defense here. And he was defending against Moose, who is uh, one of the you know big Impact stars. I had and, no idea who that man was. Yeah. No idea. And the gimmick of it, the, the idea of the whole thing was that they were going to do the Impact World title match in Daly's place. So the Good Brothers could not get from Nashville, where the rest of the show was taking place, in time to interfere in Kenny's match. Like that was the big, that was the big idea, and obviously, as it happened, it ended up just being the young bucks interfered in the 
in the Impact World title match instead. Yeah, you went to Kenny's best friend's home? Like, come on. What do you think? Yeah. So, and then, of course, after the match, after they beat Moose, uh, Sammy Callahan showed up. And that is going to lead to the main event of Slammiversary, the next proper Impact pay-per-view of Kenny Omega defending the world title against Sammy. Okay. When you explain it, it all makes sense. When you see it on BTE, it's like, you're not even in this company. <laughs> what, yes. what, what's happening? Bereft of context, yes, it's a uh, little... Uh, but yeah, so that's that was kind of the big... Yeah, that was, that's the against all odds thing. And, and I, I don't really know what the end game of this whole Kenny Omega is Impact World Champion thing is, but uh, it's continuing for now, at least. I'm sure there are more belts for him to collect somewhere. Hopefully. Um, I really would like him to win the NWA title, so he has so he has five belts at once, so we can do the, the Thanos thing. Um, but how, he couldn't do that. I mean, he wouldn't be able to fit them all on a glove. And snap his fingers. I mean, you could like you could create a you could create little like emblems like rings. Like when mm-hmm. Cody was Ring of Honor champion, he had a championship ring. Okay. Yeah. And then I'm you up. put them into the ring and you snap. And you snap, and then um, you're transported to the Tokyo Dome where Kenny is uh, trying to win the IWGP title from Kota Ibushi. I need all of this to happen. It's yeah, so that'd important. be pretty good. Um, in other news, uh, we have a new BTE champion yep. as Marco Stunt, probably the only championship he'll ever win in his career, uh, <laughs> defeated Brandon Cutler in a uh, like a basket shooting contest, which uh, I'm kind of hoping that maybe now that Brandon's no longer champion, we'll get some more variety in these competitions because they've all been, it seems like they've all been like, sort of at least basketball related since he's been on the scene just different sizes of basketball competitions yes yeah we went from like the finger operated basketball thing to now we have a mini hoop but i don't think marco is going to graduate to like a full-on hoop because he is short and that seems like a hard contest he's a little boy uh so if you remember last week we saw uh the footage backstage of the Bucks beating, uh, taking out Ray Phoenix. And yes. this week, to end the show, we saw them taking out Pac. So I don't know if Pac is injured or what, but I do know that Death Triangle has the worst luck of any stable I've ever seen in the history of professional wrestling. Like, they formed the week before a pandemic started, that, and, they, and they're all living in three different countries, and then they weren't able to be together. Then Pack. Then it seems like Ray Phoenix is just hurt all the time. <laughs> Do you think it's a curse stable? Maybe. They they do have a lot of skulls in their logo. Maybe, maybe some witch somewhere got mad. Maybe so. That, oh, that's so sad. And also, no, I don't. I don't know what's up with Pack. I haven't. I haven't heard anything. So, but, but this, it just seemed to me you wouldn't do that unless he was going to be gone for a while. Yes, and this also. I know, sorry, Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson, but this seems sorry, like... Matt Jackson? I am for real when I say that this... <laughs> this is the kind of story arc that belongs on Dynamite. Wait, let her say her point, because you Well, that was it. it. No, that was it. I, I, 
I just feel like, shouldn't this be on Dynamite? Am I crazy? Am I losing my mind? Yeah, I... They took because, out a major person. Yes, because then Penta is, you know, has just been on Dynamite the last couple of weeks by himself. Or not by himself, but like without his Death Triangle compatriots. Yeah. And as a viewer, you're just left to, I guess, wonder, like, what happened to the Death Triangle? I mean, in about three weeks, JR will, like, kind of briefly offhandedly mention it but it'll be weeks after the fact that it happened and oh it'll definitely be Excalibur come on and you can barely <laughs> hear him because you know it'll be during someone's entrance so that's typically how they handle it and this is true this is definitely true uh yeah so that was kind of I mean aside from just we had like trick shots with Nick Jackson which is which is always a blast I, I love how shitty he is to this sounds weird his children <laughs> he's clearly not like an abusive person but i love when they say good shot dad and he's like i know shut up like it's just so funny you gotta figure like how long do those kids have to stand there and wait for him to make these shots too you know i don't know i i really need some dirt sheets on how many attempts it takes him to actually get the shots in even though he he walks towards the camera and says first shot every time but the the kids look like they're having a blast they're always smiling and laughing with him so maybe they just have really long attention spans or maybe he does actually magically get it in the first shot he's got some powers <laughs> he, he's really good at basketball i mean it's probably why brandon challenged him all right so do you have any other any OBT thoughts before we move on megan uh oh the wingmen have entered into the realm of uh, blowjob jokes, which is like, aren't the the good brothers are busy? I guess so. Why? Why is this a mandatory thing we need on BTE? <laughs> they just wanted to, like you know like try sushi. Have you ever once fed a friend or lover even sushi? Like, have you ever placed sushi into their mouths? Because that's really weird. Nope. Yeah, I don't think so. Andy and I do not feed each other. We will hand forks across the table sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Never into each other's mouths. Call me unromantic, but it's weird as hell to feed somebody else who is not a child. Agreed. (laughs) Okay, let's get into a little ratings talk. Uh, Showbuzz Daily, the site that uh, kind of like always had the next day figures for everything. It was amazing. I don't know who their source was, but apparently that source dried up because Showbuzz Daily just went just just went dark after six years of putting in the work. So Wait, um, did the site go away or did they just say like, please forget we had rankings ever. We're not gonna even mention them. Both. Um oh. they first they said like, oh we had like a big issue with the site and and uh and, and then some people on social media were like, here, let's let's do this solution because we really, you know, we really appreciate the work you guys have done. Or why don't you bring it back to the Patreon? Because that's, that's this is a service that people pay for. And they're like, no, don't worry about it. We're done. Look <laughs> so away. Someone source... fucked someone's wife. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. It's a four strings brewing uh, yeah. situation. <laughs> wow. Jenny... Murder or fucking someone's wife. <laughs> Jenny went to the reality TV aspect. Andy went a little more realistic with the source dried up. <laughs> Maybe but the truth was, lies somewhere in between. It was weird well, how, how much they were, because they were just very like, no, we don't want any help. But yes, we are not doing this anymore. Uh, no, my take was that the source dried up because of murder or fucking a wife. 
it's it's all possible, but I think ultimately where we land is the really good website that Andy used for for this segment of our show is now gone. And and what do we have an alternative or? We do. It just takes longer. Um, but Dave Meltzer and the Observer is able to get like all those numbers and more. Um, it just takes it just takes more time mm. um, because you have to wait for the Observer to come out. It's because he's not sleeping with someone. The you know. Here's some. Now this is, this is a bit of a tangent, but. Here's something I was thinking about with Dave Meltzer the other day. Okay. <laughs> he has a newsletter that he puts out every week and has done since 1980. In 1980, there was no internet. You couldn't just like you couldn't just get news from like there weren't people online talking about it because there were no there was no online. So when you read the Observer, even though the week was news was a week old by the time you got it, like it was all new to you. It was like, wow, this is happening in Texas, and this is happening in Louisiana, and this is happening in Ohio. That's crazy. Like, oh, can't wait for the masked superstar to show up in Illinois next month. Uh, but yeah, it would all be fresh stuff. And that continued until, I don't know, like, honestly, it hasn't been that long that, like, news coverage of wrestling has gotten to the point where it's just like, it was, I think it was Twitter. It was Twitter created a way for, like, reporters to go, this happened, here's the news. Um, click here, here's my Patreon, $5 a month, you can find out this stuff before anybody else. Dave is still in the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna aggregate all this news over the course of a week in my reporting, I'm gonna write it all into this document, the rest of the Observer Newsletter, and you can, you can find out on Friday morning everything that happened during the week. And, and I've, I have found, I don't think Dave is getting scooped on the reg, I think what's happening is that He's, he finds out stuff independently of other sources or of other reporters, and but he just holds on to it because it's not his business to just report stuff when he gets it. I I fully believe you. He he's an old school journo, okay, and he has to take time to compile the story and I assume write out well thought articles. I I am not an observer subscriber. So I've never really read it so uh maybe that's what he is doing it's clearly working for him i mean people are still paying for his services i think right yeah so when we started this podcast i was introduced to dave Meltzer and the wrestling not like personally but the existence of dave Meltzer and the wrestling observer and andy was like yeah he just like writes this like observer newsletter Megan it's just like it's just like words in paragraph form there's no like subtitles and it's you know if you probably printed it out it's probably like 10 pages long like oh no it's way more than that it is (laughs) it is like for today's the way that the news is structured today good or bad (laughs) It's the complete opposite of that. Like, I made it through, like, the first, like, two paragraphs, and I was just like, I, I can't. Like, this is, this is, like, I want to be able to, like, see yes. what I want to know. You <laughs> like, see headlines, click on them, or not, or just assume uh, the content of the story by the headline. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and move on to the next thing. No, here's, so here's the thing. Like, I, I have this week's observer pulled up right now. And, Jenny, if you'll just look at me as I am scrolling. 
I'm going to increase the speed of my scrolling. God, that's what, 40 pages? I don't know. Yeah, that's, I mean, the thing that he says every week is that it is, it is promotional for its, for its like, it's like, I essentially write a small novel every week. And, <laughs> and, and that's great, and it's awesome. But I do think he should consider just when he gets when he when he when he gets a story and he you know double confirms it or whatever. I think he I think he triple confirms when he's going to do like a, a breaking scoop. Thing. Like a professional. Yes. Yeah, which I appreciate. Yes. He should report on Twitter, and then it's like here it is, and then you save the observer for like detailed analysis of the news. Yeah. Or couldn't you just do like have like a breaking news observer? So like you just you write an article, not a novel, but an article for those key things, and you publish it as soon as you have it confirmed. Yeah, you can do that too. But you know, I, I think he's just kind of he's kind of stuck into this, and I don't know if he'll ever break out of it. But I think it would be better if he adjusted a little bit. I I think it sounds like he's just set in his ways, which I totally get. Um, I, I mean, do... he, has, he has a sixty-two-year-old man at this point, so. Yeah, oh, I'm set in my ways, and I'm much younger than that. Yeah, I have read snippets that Andy has sent me with about relevant things. Like, I, I believe he sent me a match breakdown one time, and he literally just writes like almost everything that happens. You can <laughs> like, every move. I I could picture the match, and part of me was like, I don't need every rest hold, Dave. Like, <laughs> it's cool. Um, so. I, I can see how that quickly balloons into 40 plus pages, but I agree. Maybe just like a, a breaking news Twitter post here and there, and then you write up the whole thing on your weekly roundup. But I we appreciate you, Dave Melter. You've yeah. done yeah. this for like so, so many years at this point. So I guess if you're a 60 something year old man and you've done this for over 20 years, 40. then it's probably. It's done it for 40 years. Oh God! Okay, so nothing's gonna change. This is just how it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like he does. He does all these podcasts now every week as part. Of, that's like like the main thing of the site now, like that and the, and the Observer newsletter itself. And it just seems like, I mean, that's. I, I feel like most people that would just be the pivot. Like, like Brian Alvarez, who's his partner, just completely stopped writing his newsletter a few years ago because he's like, I'm a radio. I'm, I'm like a, I'm a podcast guy now. Like that's 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 what I do. That's what I'm gonna focus on. It's but, so yeah. much easier to talk into a microphone than to compose 40 pages yes. of written material every week. Yes. I, I have to believe. Uh, so all this to say that Dave does have ready information for, <laughs> last, for last week's dynamite. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, uh, I'll, just, I'll just read what he wrote here. AEW on June 11th did 487,000 viewers, a .19 in 18 to 49. And I think that's the third week in a row they've done a .19. So they're pretty steady in that. Um, they finished 16th on cable for the night. So, I mean, it sounds bad on the face, but um, I, it, it's like, it's 10 o'clock on a Friday night. Like, what, you know. Who's like, watching? Who's watching, yeah. And if you include uh, plus six, to, like the next six days, so basically one week of live plus DVR viewing, it was up to 818,000 viewers. That makes um, a lot more sense as far as what they typically are expecting. Yeah. Yes. And he did say the first hour, which is the future Rampage hour, did 547,000 viewers and a .21 in the 18-49, which he says is a good demo number for that time slot. So okay. maybe Rampage will be okay. Um, so I've got the quarter hours, which I always find interesting. Show open uh, with 567,000 viewers for the, the Christian Cage versus Angelico match. 
uh, it dipped a little bit for the uh, Cody and Brock Anderson and QT Marshall angle. But then the next quarter hour, they peaked with Young Bucks, uh, Young Bucks six-man tag, which, you know, not a shock. And then it just gets late. It, here's the next, here's the next uh, few quarters. 500,000 viewers, 494,000, 434,000, 409,000, and they end with 367,000 viewers for Page and 10 versus Cage and Hobbs. It's a, I, I will say, like, I acknowledge that I am not, not like a young partier anymore. Um, <laughs> but Friday for most adults is a work day. And so it is kind of hard to just transition from work to staying up super late to watch a wrestling show. I I think like by the end of Friday, I don't even work full time because I'm a freelancer. I'm still like the week's over. I need to sleep now. <laughs> like, you know, or if you have the energy, like you're probably going to go out. I mean, like yeah. with the accident, you know, with the world kind of starting to go back to normal, like it's not like if you have the energy, you're just staying home. Like you're probably going out. Like when we were in our early twenties, we would go out on Fridays after work. Like oh, the party didn't even start until like nine PM, which to me now as an adult sounds horrifying, and I do not want that. <laughs> yeah. um, so I watched this. You know, we had four. We had four in a row Friday Night Dynamites. Um, I watched every single one of them live. Uh, you watched maybe you watched like two of them live, maybe. I watched last week's, and I did watch this week live. Although I, I want to complain to fight about their iPad app right here and now. I couldn't start over. I I started like ten minutes late, and it wouldn't let me start from the beginning. Oh, I had to. Sucks. Well, you either have to watch it live or wait for the archive. Yeah. Well, no, because at the end it wraps around again, and they just start redoing it so i watched the rest of the show and then i watched the beginning at like 12 15 a.m which yikers but at that point i was already up um but yeah i i tried to watch live just because well we have been recording in the morning on saturdays because of it but also like i don't know like i guess to counteract contradict my entire point i made before like i did find myself just like well I'm not tired yet. I'll start this show and and see where it takes me. And I think the last two have been good. The first Friday night one was kind of a bleh, but I didn't watch that live. So I I was really excited about this for a while. Like for so I don't know why. It was just like, oh, this is great. Like Friday night, I don't have to like work the next morning. But by like the third one, I was just it was it was wearing on me. Like. Like, trying to, like, stay up and pay attention to a show for two hours, you know, start that starts at 10 p.m. is, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that uh, our last couple of shows have been, like, deep dives into it, because I will say last week, I remembered most of it, but when you're watching a show tired, things do slip your mind, and you do miss stuff, so yeah. it's it's definitely not as clear for me as when... It airs at its normal time, and I just watch it on Thursday. Now, I, I will say that the last three weeks, I've been very happy to have had uh, my friend uh, and, and former co-host, uh, guest co-host of the Elite Beat, Dave, come over um, and watch those shows with me, and that's been really great fun. But uh, I, uh, I don't know that I could keep it up for like <laughs> I don't know that I could keep it up permanently. 
Like, I don't know that that's going to be our, he's going to be my long-term rampage buddy when, uh, when that show starts in August. Oh, that's only an hour, so maybe, maybe that would be okay. I was just thinking, like, if if this is becoming kind of a routine for you guys, a half half of the showtime, uh, you know, hour-long event seems way more doable. I, I'm thinking of the early days of NXT when that got in and out in 45 minutes without commercials, you know? Like, yeah. it was nice. It's good yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, I'll have to take a temperature on that, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think Rampage, Jenny? Uh, like, is that, is that, given that it's a one-hour show, do you think that's something you'll ever watch on Friday night? I could see me watching it, like, a couple times a year on Friday night. Just if, like, circumstances are just right. Yep. <laughs> like, you didn't work that day, or you, you got... Caffeine and alcohol levels have to be just so, you know, like... It's a delicate chemistry, and... Yeah. Uh, let's let's get into some news. Uh, Forbes did a big article on AEW this week. I don't know. Did you guys read the article? I sent it to both of you. I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yes. He's checked in and to answer you, I did not. I clicked into it and I did that thing that we were describing with Dave saying earlier. I skimmed. I looked for All bullet right. points. Yeah, <laughs> I like I liked the pictures because they called back to the Brit segment. I definitely was like, I remember seeing that. That's right, yeah, yeah. It was the whole thing where Brit wanted to have, wanted to, like, picture with her with the belt because she was like, well, when this comes out, I'm going to be champion. And you know what? She was fucking right. That's true. <laughs> we this, missed out. This came out weeks <laughs> later, and she was champion. Um, so th- I thought the most interesting thing in this article to me was learning that the company is not actually in the black right now. Because I had thought that with the TV deal, they were profitable. But then Tony Khan said... Yeah, but we just spent eight figures on developing a video game. And I was like, what? Like, I I kind of figured that that was going to be, like, you know, that they were licensing. I kind of figured that was more like they were licensing themselves to someone. But it sounds like they're, like, they're kind of taking all the risk on this thing. He's, But he's talking about the, the to-be-released fighting-style wrestling game. game. Yeah. Okay, because I was like, hmm, Casino Royal or whatever <laughs> other mobile game is called. Yeah. That cannot possibly cost eight figures. <laughs> yes. um, and actually, uh, sidebar, there was, on Thursday, there was a little bit of footage from that game that got shown on AEW's YouTube channel. Um, Which game? The console game. Um, that I think is going to be a PS5 uh, Xbox, Xbox One, PS4 release. Um, and I don't know if it's going to switch or not, but I hope so. I hope it's on as many platforms as possible. But uh, they've changed the look of the character models a little bit from when we first saw the like the alpha footage with uh, like Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho and Cheeta. It looks a little less cartoony and more and more realistic now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the footage they showed was Darby Allen. Uh, doing like it's basically just Darby Allen in action, like like doing coffin drops on like a on like basically a, a crash test dummy looking um, polygon man, and uh, it looked cool. It looked it reminded me of um, those Nintendo sixty four games that I used to play. That, that which is you know the the thing that they're trying to achieve, going so far as to like use the developer of those games to uh, make this game. So. Uh, I don't know. Like, I have no idea when it's coming out. 
hopefully next year, I would think, based on where they are right now. But uh, I was encouraged by it. So that's yeah. that's good. I definitely trust them to do that game better than the one like the throwaway mobile ones that they <laughs> they put out initially. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, I don't know if it's possible to recoup that level of investment in sales. I, we listen no. to a lot of video game podcasts, but I still don't fully understand the the profit margin with that. So, so the thing that I was thinking of about that, Megan, is that like maybe it would be okay if they don't totally recoup it with the first game, because at least then you've got an engine that you've built and, and, you, and you've developed. So like you've got something to build on for a sequel, you know? Oh yeah, that's true, and it it does it would like establish trust in in their gaming brand or segment or department, whatever they call it, because thus far I don't think anybody's been super impressed with it. So seeing that that big full fully developed, really good fighting game that is based on all of their roster that plays video games like childhood dreams, um, yeah, I think that would be a pretty good. Pretty good move on their part. Pretty good for them, uh, on the whole. Um, yeah. So they, I mean, <clears throat> if they only spent ten million dollars, which would be the lowest end of an eight-figure <laughs> amount, only ten million, and you sell it at sixty dollars, you have to sell one hundred and sixty-seven thousand of these, which would not actually get there because they're not actually getting the $60 themselves. Um, so I don't know what they would sell it to the um, retailers who would actually sell it at $60 for. So I don't know what type of uh, margin they have on that, but I don't know. They're definitely not going to recoup it in their first release. So the most recent WWE game, WWE 2K20, I don't know for sure if this is um, an accurate stamp of the, the, the sales figure I am seeing. Uh, states that it sold between Xbox and, and PlayStation 4, it sold about 365,000 copies. Um, and that was a game that was terribly reviewed, um, just absolutely reviled. But WWE is the brand name and the, the, you know, the established player. And they have a huge, huge consumer, like the people who are watching WWE. Is a lot more than people watching AEW. A huge amount. You know, I mean, yes. About, so, about double. In the U.S., like, well, yeah. In the U.S., yeah. it's a it's double. I think AEW's audience is maybe more in line with the like in the Venn diagram of gamers and AEW's audience. I, I feel like they fill the center more than necessarily the full WWE audience does, and also like this WWE game is just one more in a series of declining quality games. Like, year after year, they release trash, and year after year, people buy it. And so I wonder if, Andy, raising your hand, yes, I know, you're a WWE game guy, um, but, like, if they have that staying power, then if AEW releases what, you know, optimistic people will assume is a good game, I think they might get a pretty good response as far as buyers um, out of the audience they have, even though it's smaller than WWE. So I I'm keeping my fingers crossed for them because I want that part to succeed. And I WWE has set the bar so low with game quality that like, 
I don't know how much work the game needs to do to, to surpass it at a base level. That does help, for sure. Like, like, WWE 2K20 was so bad that they decided to punt the next year. And they're like, we're just not putting the game out this year. We're going to we're gonna go back to the drawing board and figure this thing out. They've never done that before. Like, <laughs> they finally figured out that it's just, it's so bad. Yeah, they, they need to completely regroup. Um, but yeah, so, I don't know, I, I'm encouraged, we'll, we'll see. Uh, my favorite quote from the article, though, is uh, Shad Khan, Tony's father, who uh, said, I absolutely, regarding the starting of AEW, he said, I absolutely didn't think this was a good idea. But I told Tony, look, when I'm dead and gone, I'm going to be leaving you and your sister a lot of money. Why don't you blow some of that while I'm alive? Coolest dad ever. <laughs> yeah, why can't we all have billionaire dads? So, yeah, so I, uh, you know, and obviously, like, the company's doing fine. And and with return of live crowds and, and live gates, they'll, 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 be, they'll be okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, so uh, speaking of that, uh, Tony Khan announced on... Uh, 16 three days ago Wednesday that they have booked Arthur Ashe Stadium in uh, New York for a Wednesday night show called Dynamite Grand Slam on September 22nd. Uh, it is Arthur Ashe, obviously. It's a tennis stadium. It's where the U.S. Open is played every year. It is never it has never hosted wrestling before. I sent you guys a picture of it. It looks like a cool venue. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see how that could look neat for wrestling uh, because like. It's, it, like the stands are like kind of like stacked up high. It's like kind of it's like kind of compact and just. Um, it also has a retractable roof, so you know depending on weather, it'll be it'll be fine. Um, yeah, like so, they are going to set it up for sixteen thousand fans, and uh, Dave Meltzer was told that if that sells out quickly, the plan is they can they can adjust it and sell up to nineteen thousand tickets. And wow. they can like alter the setup a little bit. So either way, if they sell out, this will be by far the biggest crowd in the history of the of the company. And I get I guess Wednesday night, a little harder to draw a huge crowd, but New York City, a little easier to draw a huge crowd probably. What do you guys think? Do you think that this is I mean, casting ahead three months, like what do you think? Do you think this is gonna do well? Jenny's making Anybody? it. Well, Jen, I was watching Jenny's face. She looks skeptical. I, I think that it sounds awesome. It looks awesome, and New York City should, in theory, provide plenty of people who are, you know, movers and shakers on a Wednesday night. But also, New York City was one of the hardest hit places by the pandemic. So I'm wondering, like, what the temperature is there as far as like willingness to go into big crowded areas um i know it's three months out but it seems like like la and new york and big cities like that um were hit harder and had more lockdown restrictions in place and i don't know i don't know what people's attitudes are compared to like us out in like the midwest where people are feeling much better about this sort of event yeah i mean uh You've got to figure that vaccination rate in New York City is super high, though. Um, That's true. It was a lot slower, though. But I mean, by September. Yeah. Hopefully, they'll be. But I mean, based on the 
like the political make and sadly it's a political issue the political makeup of that city you got to figure that's a really highly vaccinated area yeah i hopefully i mean i think under normal circumstances non-pandemic it no question like they would fill this place up and you know i yeah, think first, time, get there. first time in new york city yeah yeah, yeah. So it's in Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, is Taz gonna be in the <laughs> Oh, maybe Hook will make it. Maybe Hook's debut. Uh, oh be, God. Be there. Oh, Jenny would travel for that. Yeah. <laughs> I would not. So here's. Uh, I will watch, but I would not travel. Here, here's a mitigating factor. Do you guys remember last year, right before the pandemic started, they were going to do, they're about to do Blood and Guts with the Elite versus the Inner Circle. Yeah. And that was going to be in the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. That show, obviously we're not going to do Blood and Guts there, but that show has been rescheduled for the week before that Dynamite Grand Slam at Arthur Ashe Stadium. And the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey is 30 miles from Arthur Ashe Stadium. Now, they... They had sold 12,000 tickets to that show. Uh, about 3,000 people requested refunds. Uh, but the rest of them decided, no, we'll just wait. You know, this, is, this thing's not gonna last forever. So we'll just, we'll just go when it's back. So they've got 9,000 people committed to going to that show already. Um, how much do you think that will hurt, you know, like the attendance of the Arthur Ashe show? And, do you think it's possible that because like the people who bought tickets to that spent that money over a year ago at this point? It's a sunk cost. It's a sunk cost, and now they're like, well, I'm just going to go to shows back-to-back weeks. Hell yeah, I, I think this is going to be like, this like fish, you know? Like people going to be following in vans. <laughs> Guys, I got a question. Uh-huh. Oh gosh. Is AEW as like hot of a ticket as it was last year before the pandemic because in my mind it's not it's not it's not i have i have i have data to back that up because i mean i oh god i am you hate it i do not enjoy it you don't like dynamite i like you don't like the product you don't enjoy watching it i'm really sad to say it's really it makes me sad because we do this podcast and i love doing the podcast we sure do (laughs) (laughs) we do this damn podcast So I I, I, I don't know if there's other people out there like me, but it's lackluster. I'm sure there are other people that do not like dynamite. (laughs) If that's what you mean, I could I could find you like some friends if you want. Jenny, why have you uh, pulled back from the product? I just honestly I haven't liked any of the storylines. I don't. I I mean I don't like. I haven't liked BTE. Lately, like, I just, I don't know. I just, like, it's just not, it's just not interesting me. It's too many, too many things happening. They're, they're not doing storylines that I'm interested in. It's too many old people. Okay. Jenny, I feel like, represents, like, an average fan. You know, like, like a casual viewer. I wasn't, though. I loved no, it at the beginning. No, but I say that because I feel like you, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm totally interpreting here, but you value, like, the story and and kind of more, 
what's going on in that sense than just the actual wrestling. Because I agree with you, like, BTE has gone downhill heavily. Um, The storylines on Dynamite aren't necessarily that interesting, but I think wrestling-wise, there's still plenty of people that interest me on the card, and... And I think that put on really good matches. So wrestling quality, I think, is still there. But for you, I think without the story to kind of put structure to it, that you just don't, that's not like first in your mind, right? Yeah, I, I'm I'm story first. Mm-hmm. There is one really, really good storyline in AEW right now. We'll talk about it when we recap Dynamite. But I, I would just want to say, like, there's one thing that I am just like on the edge of my seat about, and uh, we'll talk about it. Um, so as far as ticket sales go, because you, you asked, are they are they as hot now as they were in 2020, in March of 2020? Uh, so I've got some updates about that from The Observer. Uh, the Kenny a Jungle Boy match in Jacksonville, which is uh, taking place a week from tonight on Saturday, uh, 800 tickets have been sold so far. Uh, they are set up for 1,500. That's not going too well. Uh, then they're going live again in Jacksonville four days later on uh, their first Wednesday back. And that's going to be tough because, I mean, that's four days after a big, the big Kenny Omega match, which isn't selling well anyway. Mm-hmm. I think it's clear they just burned this market out. Yeah. Um, so you can almost give them a pass for Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. They, they yeah. are going to do it as like a fan appreciation night, and they're going to do $10 tickets. So hopefully they can get people to come out for that. Um, Okay, so then July 7th is Miami. They have 2,500 tickets sold so far. Uh, the capacity is 4,664. Um, now, there is a, a caveat to that because the first couple weeks tickets were on sold sale. Miami had a uh, restriction of, um, like, you could, you could only be at a certain capacity, and then they lifted that later. So they could rally and sell more tickets. Um, Let's see, the next week, uh, July 14th in Cedar Park, Texas, which is 30 minutes from Austin, has sold 3,800 tickets, and there are 400 left uh, with about a month to go. So that is probably going to be a sellout. That's that's looking pretty good. Um, The next week in Garland, Texas, has 3,500 tickets sold. Um, The next week, the 28th in Charlotte, uh, has sold 3,700 tickets, which is actually more than they sold total the first time they went to that arena um, in the first nice. run of Dynamites. Um, uh, Dave notes here that AEW and WWE put Charlotte tickets on sale within days of each other, and AEW has already sold more tickets than they drew in total the first time they were in the market. Um, yeah, so it's not it's not blow away. It's not a disaster. But I mean, there will be these 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 buildings will look good on TV. That's because they're not they're not running giant basketball arenas. You know, they're running right. mid-sized venues, which is what they've always done, except for pay-per-views. Um, so I, I think it's just gonna the show. They're just have to have put a, they're gonna have to put on kick-ass shows for a while to get the product hot again, and then and you know, and ticket sales should follow if they're able to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not gonna be year one or quarter one or whatever that that magic honeymoon period where everything was selling out because everyone was super hyped and excited for something new but i do think that there are diehard fans and also there are people who are more casual fans who are just 
craving something to do (laughs) as we come out of the, as we lessen, you know, the pandemic sort of stuff. Um, So I don't think it's going to be a disaster by any stretch, but I think you're right. Like they need to put on compelling shows and uh, the quality of wrestling always seems to be there. It's just, they need to, to get more people on board with the storylines maybe. And I think they're totally capable of doing that. Um, cause the first year or so was they had, they're so good at l- the long game that maybe they need to work on their short game a little bit, I guess. I can see that. I can see that. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's very important that that first show on the road in Miami on the 7th, they, that needs to be a home run show to show people that like, Hey, if you come out to one of these shows, you're going to have a good time. You know, you're, yeah. you're going to, you're going to, you're going to see something cool and you don't want to miss it, you know? Yeah. I can, I can maybe even see like. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, but I can maybe see like a Brian Danielson, uh, like debut being saved for a show like that. Oh, uh, that would be so fun! Get him out yeah. there. Uh, okay, so let's let's do some more news. Uh, Tony was on a different. He was on a different radio show. This was a part of the. Um, this was a part of the Forbes article. But he was talking about the format of Dark and Elevation once they're back on the road, which is something we've been, you know, we've been talking about and wondering about, like, how's that going to change? And I'm just going to read what Dave wrote in the Observer. He says, the basic format, starting on July 7th, will be Dark Elevation, taping from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, then they will also do be doing closed set tapings for regular Dark uh, that would include possibly more matches for Dark Elevation. So Tony had said he's thinking about, he's trying to procure a venue to like a studio, like a closed studio to tape dark in. Uh, and I, people have been speculating, probably Atlanta, that would make the most sense um, because it's a hub, so you can get people in more easily than to Jacksonville. Do you think they'll just use um, QT and Cody's, um, I don't know how much space they have, but they could build like a studio there? No, there, there, is, a, there is a famous uh, studio that WCW used to use called Center Stage that NXT has even used as recently as the last few years. Um, so there's speculation that they might try to do that. Hmm. Um, just because, you know, like Tony Khan, Cody Rhodes, obsessed with like that kind of history and the, the <laughs> magic of that kind of stuff. Which Jenny is, Jenny's, I don't give like, a shit about. Jenny's practically given like a wanking motion right <laughs> here, like, You motherfuckers. I mean, um, seriously, sometimes I'm like, Cody, I get it. You were born in the 80s, but like, get over it. Uh, okay, so the live... We all were. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but we got over it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, so the live Wednesday shows will be three hours until late August, so with the dark elevation and then two hours of dynamite. Once Rampage starts, there will be weeks with Rampage Live. Uh, he says special dates, including the, uh, August 13th debut in Pittsburgh and pay-per-view weekends, where they'll tape other content from 8 to 10 p.m. and do Rampage from 10 to 11 p.m. But most weeks then will become four-hour tapings on Wednesdays with with so that you got dark elevation at seven, dynamite at eight, and rampage at ten for an hour. That audience is going to be tired. Yeah, yeah. Probably. on a weeknight, on a Wednesday night. Yeah, from I feel ten like to rampage. eleven. After three other hours, they're going to be tired. Rampage you know, is going to suffer, I think. Might, yeah, crowd's probably hot for uh, elevation though. Yeah, I mean, that's a good time to film that show, except that's your YouTube show. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's yeah. it's almost like maybe you want to pack that first hour with stuff that you're going to put on television. 
I agree. Right yeah, maybe you do like a warm-up elevation match for the first 15 minutes, and then you do Rampage for 45 minutes, and then Rampage is the first 15 after Dynamite. That's how I would do it. Yeah, because it's like you're only putting AEW Dark stuff on YouTube. And also, if he's talking about getting a studio for AEW Dark sometime, like some matches, it's like, uh, why wouldn't you save your your hot audience for the important stuff? And I get that, like, you're worried that people are going to be coming in and it might be distracting to see, like, but if you do the first 15 minutes and hopefully everyone's in their seats. Uh, yeah. I mean, just based on that, Jenny, like I picture two five live tapings where they happen after like SmackDown or raw or whatever, the big show. Um, and, and that was only just, two hours. That wasn't a three hour show. Yeah. yeah. So and that would, that would be the same thing. Two hours. You show. see people filing out. Like that's all you see in the background of these matches where these little, cruiserweight boys are doing their damnedest but that's that's rough like that was not a good look but a big part of that is that they were the little cruiserweight boys who weren't pushed and were like segregated to their own show like i don't think rampage is going to be that you know it it, it kind of a lot of it depends on it might be we don't know what's going to be yeah you're right i mean a lot of it depends on what that show is going to be and we don't know what that is yet true that's a good point I, I just, I think, I think the audience is going to be way too, I, like, I think you're going to see people leaving. I think they're going to be tired, but I think they might still be hot for the first 15 minutes after Dynamite ends. Like, if you had a good close, sure. then you bring out the, you know, the, maybe the finale for the Rampage match is at that point or something like that. And then... I just take that order. Yeah, I, that's why I'm saying. You wait, you do... You do some elevation for the first 15 minutes, uh, starting at 7, mm-hmm. so that people are filing in. Most people are seated then. Then you do your 45 minutes or, you know, I know it's mm-hmm. not a full hour, so maybe you do 20 well, minutes. I mean, they'll put the commercials in, you know. Yeah. And then and then you take your rampage so that the crowd's, like, starting to get hot. They're already in their seats. And then... After the finale, you have one last match while people are still hot before they all leave. Yeah, I I do think, like, this ties in with the ticket sales and stuff because I'm sh- – well, I guess not. Maybe, maybe not sales, but there is a consideration of who can attend because if I was, like, a parent, God forbid, um, and my kid wanted to go see the show – there is a point where it's like a school night or just, you know, kids in general where whether I wanted to stay or not, that kid needs to go home, you know, like, like, and they, they have an audience of, you know, it's a family friendly sort of deal, not to the extent that WWE is, but they do encourage kids and, you know, they have those sensory rooms and stuff for like, you know, trying to extend to all people who want to come to these shows. But I think that on a Wednesday night, that also means that you're going to get some people <laughs> who need to go to bed at it, who have a bedtime, you know? So I, I'm just curious. I, I hope it works out well for them, but that does four hours is so long to sit in one place. You know, we, um, the first time that Justin Shapiro was on our show, he had, he had, it was because he had gone to the dynamite in Pittsburgh that he, he went to with his friend and his friends too, two young children and 
I, we asked him about like, oh, so like, you know, tell us about dark. And he was like, oh, we didn't, we left when I went in because it was 10 o'clock and yeah. children, you know, <laughs> like right. on a school night. And it was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, you're right. That, that, that totally makes sense. And uh, just a little, little, just, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get an update uh, while we're still in the air here. But I, uh, I just, I did just ask Justin when I read that news item again about uh, Dynamite and then Rampage two days later being the debut of Rampage being in Pittsburgh. I asked him if he's going to either of those shows. So we might be, we might be booking our next Justin Shapiro uh, appearance here on the, on the air. <laughs> we, I mean, he's a correspondent at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he has to be on here if he goes to a show. So That's true. We need the 411. It's only fair. I mean, I, I went on his show and we went to Money in the Bank, so. Yes. Uh, so anybody, anybody else have anything else to say about the, that, like the, the dynamite, uh, dark taping? I think stuff? I've said enough. <laughs> what do you think about the idea of like taping dark in its own building though, like kind of like a TV studio and like with a different kind of feel? I, I mean, I think it's helpful. Like dark serves a purpose to get people, um, experience. Yes, and yeah. I think that it's definitely helped. Um, you can definitely see the talent has evolved from wrestling moves, not storylines, but wrestling moves since the beginning. Um, so I think it's really helpful. The only thing is that you're not getting exposure to audience reaction, but you would be getting exposure of like how to find the camera they, and things like that. There, there is, then you would have like a couple hundred fans in there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm picturing like, I'm liking the idea more and more because I'm picturing early days of NXT when that really yeah, did. Like yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm supportive of yeah. that. Yeah, that really did help push that brand forward too. And although it morphed into beyond the purpose, I think if AEW keeps dark as sort of like a primarily um, area for training and and building up people, and maybe getting main roster people on there more rarely. Um, then, then we could have the NXT effect, and I really like that, and I, I hope that's, that's what it goes towards. Yeah, I hope it's less of, like, smash-ems for, like, main roster people to, like, build mm -hmm. up their stats, and more of a performance-type building, coaching, learning center, and I think that'd be really beneficial to this company. I think it's funny because, um, I have been doing a big re-listen to uh, the Elite Beat Pod recently, and uh, I'm up to July. I'm actually up to July of last year, and uh, I, I've noticed like early on a big talking point for you was that they basically they need a performance center, and then <laughs> we kind of talked you down from that, and you're like, well, they need like a developmental thing, and. <laughs> Like Tony Khan has been talking about Dark lately as like this is our developmental. Like this is you know we have Cody School, we've got uh, we got Dustin training people, we've got Sean Spears has a school. Like we've got people, we've got a pipeline for people to come into and like and and and, and work on Dark and then like kind of work their way into the system. So it seems like it really is heading in that direction. I mean, if you look at if you look at the number of people, like and Jay. Aaron Solo, Nick Camaroto, Brock Anderson, Anthony Agogo. It's really not insignificant the number of people that have kind of, kind of brought up through the system so far. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that... I'm sorry, Mr. Freak Piece. <laughs> I'm hopeful that in a year, finally, Tony Khan takes my advice and gets better storylines. 
Shad no, Khan is tossing around money saying, hey, go spend my inheritance. Uh, maybe he could build a performance center. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this is like if they do get center stage, which I was talking about, this is that's like WCW literally, like that was like where their primary television show from 1989 to 1996 was taped, basically until Nitro came around. So, like, that's yeah, it's got it's got a lot of magic. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, Tony Khan and his EVPs that are all nostalgic for the 80s, but it says it has 750 seats. Yeah. Okay. So, like, it's bigger than I thought, but yeah. But so you could get you could get decent. That's but that's a lot to like. So, like, how many people are at full sale? Because four hundred. Yeah. Because. But you know what? As long as you just as long as you cram everybody in on the hard camera side, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you just don't expand out to to show anything else. Well, what I was trying to say is, from a cost perspective, that might be too large of a. That might be too costly to do every week if you're only selling, you know, a couple hundred. Well, maybe you maybe you do it like you tape it in blocks, like once a month. Go the mm-hmm. NXT route once again. Like here's yeah. four shows, bam, bam, bam. I hope they don't get a crowd that's like so up their own asses, like the full sale crowd. Oh yeah. <laughs> God. I tell you, like I've been watching NXT lately from the the Performance Center, which they have rechristened the Capital Wrestling Center. Of course. Um, okay. And I am begging for those full sale uh, fans to be back. It's just like there's Damn just like no there's just no atmosphere like with you know mm. like with with like 150 fans behind glass. You know, it's just like oh this is not <laughs> this is not good. Okay, yeah, but that's a pandemic problem, not a, a yes, venue problem. I just hope they get back to full sale. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh, other news. Here's one you're not gonna like. Mark Henry did an interview with TMZ saying that he is pushing for Braun Strowman to come to AEW. Mark, why? We have <laughs> enough big people. Lance Archer is bored. He He's demanding more time. We don't need another big man. Uh, Dave Meltzer said, uh, Hen- uh, like the background is, is Henry helped recruit uh, Strowman for WWE since they both have a background in, you know, I mean, you know, legitimately, at certain points in their life, being among the strongest people on the face of the earth. Uh, I told you when you said that Mark Henry was had signed, I said he's probably going to get Braun Strowman to come on. Did you say that? I did. Good on, job. On his, when you get to that episode. Yeah. On his episode of Unrestricted, uh, he did talk about that and how, like, one of the things he brings to the table is that he has contacts and he he's not a recruiter per se, like he doesn't go out looking, but he just puts people he know knows in touch with people who you know might be interested. Like that's the level he gets involved. He's he's not out there trying to like go out of his way to find people. But man, Mark Henry, like, and no offense to Braun Strowman, but he just really never never did yeah, much for me. <laughs> yeah, like he's I don't know. He was Maybe. he was a pretty big star for a while. So I like I I think. I think if you're AEW, if you're Tony Khan, you kick the tires at least and, I think, have, and have a conversation. I think you keep you keep away from Braun Strowman and that Dana girl who was also Dana Brooke. Dana Brooke. Oh my God, I couldn't stand She's her. She's still in WWE, so Ugh. you're safe for, for Dana Brooke. <laughs> Moment. <laughs> I I also thought that uh, you had said that Braun Strowman was like not necessarily super passionate about the wrestling business and that by being released from wwe he kind of just had the the mentality of like 
we'll all go back to strongman stuff. Like, like he, he well, seems like he's more interested in, in other aspects of like the weight lifting and the truck pulling or whatever the hell strongmen do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I don't know. Like, I think what my speculation was that like, as a guy who, who didn't come up through the Indies, who only came up through WWE system, maybe he would feel like it was a downgrade to work anywhere else in wrestling. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's also fair. I, I just, I wasn't sure if if he was out there shopping around as much as, you know, other people who live and die in the indie wrestling scene and, and getting released from WWE is like, all right, but I'll find other places, you know? No, there was, there was like a rumor out last week, which he has, he has, he has denied, but I mean, he would, um, that like people, people who like contacted his agent for bookings were told that it was like basically $10,000 to get him off his couch for, to, to like for, for an indie, for him to go to a match for an indie promotion. Oh, does he not understand how indies work and how they don't just have I mean, like $10,000 <laughs> to give to one person? You know, you know what though? If he's, if he doesn't really, really, really want it and he's just like, you know what? I'm not too bothered. I've got a lot of money. But if somebody does want to pay me $10,000 to come in and do one match, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Like, then sure, yeah, price yourself at that. Yeah. No, true. Definitely pri- price yourself for yeah. what you're worth. But that tells me that he doesn't, he doesn't. He doesn't want to get a lot of bookings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he's, he's yeah. pricing himself out. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yeah, he absolutely is, yeah. That's kind of so Andy's uh, sister runs like a contracting company. And she said that sometimes she'll just like, if they don't really want a job, they'll just like outrageously bid it. And then it's like, sure, if you want to pay that, we'll come up and do that job. But like, we don't really want it, you know, like, but we'll do it if you're going to pay that much. I have done that too. Like, just it's a good way to not offend a client or a potential client and also say no, a soft no being like, well, and then if you end up getting all that money, if they decide they want to pay that level, then you just get a lot of money, which is great. So yeah. win win. The thing. So that's kind of like that was like the, the buyback method. That's what he did when he got released and um, he got bookings for like, I don't know. I think he worked like a handful of matches after he got released. But then, you know, it's like. If you're an indie promoter and you pay a guy 10, that 10 grand and he comes in and you don't recoup that from like the number of fans that he extra fans he draws, then you're just like, okay, well, I'm not going to book right back again. And so, yeah, so right back, I don't think right back is out of match in years because of that, just because like, you know, he doesn't really want to wrestle that much. So, which God bless him, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, hey, I, do what brings you joy, you know? And I'm just saying, to me, that means Braun Strowman may appear, but it sounds like not at a contractual level unless Tony Khan is willing to pay a buttload of money. And I hope that he funnels that money towards how many like other talented indie people could you get for one Braun Strowman? You know, like what is the exchange rate on that? And I think they would long term be better investments. I, I totally agree. Um. In news that's kind of related to that, so, you know, Samoa Joe was one of the people released by WWE last mm-hmm. month, and we thought, okay, well, maybe Joe, maybe Joe comes to, comes to AEW and, you know, like, kind of finishes out his career with a one last big run, that'd be nice, and he'd be a big help backstage, obviously. Yeah. So it appears that the issue with Samoa Joe and WWE is that, like, he and Vince didn't really get along or see eye to eye. 
He uh, invents. Yeah, he invents, okay. he invents a I thought you said he invents. Yeah. <laughs> he invents great things. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what has happened is that he is back in NXT in a backstage uh, role and like as an on-camera authority figure role because Hunter loves him. Um, and Hunter was just like, we cannot let this guy go. Like, this guy's great. He's going to, you know, like, so so Hunter, like, caught him back in the, in the door. And he's just going to, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Mauro Ranallo deal where he's got a, he's got a contract where he only has to report to Triple H. And he doesn't have to interact with Vince McMahon at all. Um, so yeah, more so, people so, should ask for that deal, honestly. Yes. So I watched NXT on Tuesday where he, where he made his re-debut. And, uh, you know, he brought life to the show. I'll, I'll say that. Um, so, yeah, but we, uh, we as AEW fans and reviewers are going to miss out on, on uh, Samoa Joe, unfortunately. Well, I would think most notably the young talent would miss out on Samoa Joe. Yeah, yeah, totally. He'd be a, he'd be a fantastic uh, influence to have. Most of them probably grew up, like, watching his Ring of Honor tapes or TNA tapes or whatever. Yeah, because he could have brought, so like, many facets. Like, he could have been on the announce team for one of the various shows they're they're doing he could have done coaching of the young talent backstage he could have done a, a handful of matches you know every once in a while show up he he's kind of like the taz but the taz that can wrestle still like the yeah. taz that still wants to get in the ring um but i totally i totally understand like if he likes working at nxt because he obviously knows the talent there already you know like he He's obviously familiar with them, and Hunter probably offered him a pretty good amount of money to come back. <laughs> and if he just doesn't have to deal with Vince, great. Uh, I do think like that that speaks to like what Alistair Black or Tommy End or whatever he's going by now said on his unrestricted episode of the podcast that like the reason NXT works better than the main roster WWE. Uh, is because Hunter is the only one, the only one, who, who does like NXT planning. Like it's his vision. Everybody is working towards it. Everybody understands it. Whereas when you go to the main roster, like there are a million cooks in the kitchen. Nobody's really clear. Like the the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing, and so it causes a lot of confusion. And that's why the quality goes down, and why so many NXT people that have been elevated kind of die on the vine there. So. Samoa Joe, I mean, best of luck to you. I hope you're happy. I hope you're doing what you love. Uh, but I am really sad that, that that they let him go and then they fooled us and then Hunter grabbed him back up in his his like net. Um, and we don't get him in AEW. But I, I hope he's happy. I hope he's happy and well paid for what he's doing. You know. I, I, yeah. yeah, totally. I, you know, he, he, he deserves to, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's gotta be one of the greater influences on this current generation of young talent than like, like him, I would say like him, Brian Danis and CM Punk, those are probably like the three most mm-hmm. influential people for like talent that are like getting into the business now because they all would have all grown up watching Ring of Honor tapes, you know, and, and DVDs and stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, and just what a, like a, what a fantastic performer he's been for twenty years, you know. Yeah, and he always seems so happy and positive. I bet that's a really good energy to have in your locker room or like around the the young talent coming up. So Samoa Joe, love you. Hope for the best. 
don't want Braun Strowman. No. <laughs> don't want big strong man. There are enough of them already. I mean, we there. You water down your large monsters when your company starts to have so many of them. Like you know, they're supposed to be. I, I totally agree with you. And and you're right. Lance Archer has nothing to do. So like. You already have too many, or you're not utilizing them correctly. Yeah. Jenny hasn't even watched the show in like a month, and she knows that Lance Archer doesn't have anything to do. <laughs> That's been his whole pitch. Yeah. <laughs> Promos and stuff is, I'm bored. I need, like, I want my time. Like, give Lance Archer stuff to do. We saw a video package when he came in of him just beating up a bunch of geeks. Why doesn't he get to do that anymore? Marco Stunt's there. Let him beat up Marco Stunt he every week. He would throw Marco Stunt so far into the crowd. I loved it. <laughs> Come on. See, you can do a nice little storyline where, like, you know, Lance is, like, bullying Marco, but, like, in a fun, not that bullying's ever fun. Bullying is bad, <laughs> obviously. But, like, you could do, like, a fun storyline. Speaking that. Right yeah. <laughs> um, you the could start. Me. I hate bullies. Uh <laughs> But you could start putting markers in the crowd and and seeing like distance tosses. Like Lance, can you better, <laughs> can you best last week's distance and and just make a game out of it? I bet Marco would love that shit. He'd be on TV. All he'd have to do is uh, just be willing to put up his body for for all the risks involved with that gimmick. But he seems like he'd be game for it. That's all I'm saying. He does. Ah, only twenty three meters. <laughs> I've got one more news item before we get to dynamite, um, and this is just kind of a fun one. And it is also it's an it's a it's an elite beat pod unsolved mystery. Ooh, Ooh. Back, where's Robert Stack? Getting back to uh, if you guys remember the infamous uh, Dark Order beatdown episode of the last episode of Dynamite for the year 2019 with the six foot miss on the punch. Yes, so. Evil Luno and Stu Grayson were on Talk as Jericho last week. And Megan, did you listen to this? I have not, but it's in my queue. But this is okay. exciting. Okay. So so basically, before like members of the AEW roster were in there, they just had those, you know, they had those creepers who were just guys who were just indie guys wearing suits. And Jericho uh, Jericho noted, and I'm just reading uh, from Dave Meltzer's recap here, so this is verbiage. Uh, Jericho noted that the mistakes of the Creepers reflected badly on Uno and Grayson. And Uno responded, yeah, because where, whatever they did was attached directly to us. And Dean Malenko is the person who had kind of opened my eyes about that two or three TVs in. He's like, you really need to take care and make 100% certain of everything people do. Because whatever they do, it doesn't matter if it reflects badly on them. They're not coming back. You're the one sticking around. And he said, honestly, the first few months, those mistakes really put a dent. It really hurt us as far as uh, image and stuff. And uh, Stu said he recalled giving instructions and talking things out with the talent beforehand. Uh, He said, we would talk to them over and over again, like how to make the human throne, what to do. I kind of missed the human throne, I have to admit. I Um, know, that was was a good visual. (laughs) We would ask, hey, are you trained? They'd say, yes. How long have you been wrestling? This amount of time. Can you throw a punch and a kick? Yes. No? Then choke. I suppose most of them were not being fully honest because once they were in the ring, it could be stress, it could be just about anything really, or you're on live TV. But what they said they could do was not the reality. But that reminds me though of like actors where they say, if somebody asks you if you can do something, you say yes, and then you take two days 
yeah. to learn how to horseback ride or sword fight or speak Portuguese or you know something but insane. This is easy. Okay, you're asking them, can you throw a punch or a kick? Instead of asking them if they can throw a punch or a kick, you have them throw a punch or a kick. You can verify it in five seconds. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he said, like, we would see them punch the floor, walk around and trip. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I should have asked, can you walk properly? <laughs> Some of them were too nervous to say, oh, I'm really green because they wouldn't want to be cut. Um, if, you know, they want a chance to be on TV. And he said, I understand that. you got to be honest, because if one of the Buddhists said, oh, I'm really nervous, I'm really green. We would say, hey, don't worry. We'll put you in the back. You don't have to do much. We just need people. We need, we need bodies. We need numbers. We'll make it work. Um, and then yeah, the most infamous blunder for Dark Order was a main event segment on the final Dynamite of 2019 where a creeper missed badly on their punches on Dustin Rhodes. And I remember at the time, somebody on this podcast very, very vehemently insisted that this was Brandon Cutler. <laughs> it looked like Brandon Cutler. He was really tall and thin. Who has that body type? <laughs> A, a lot of people, apparently, <laughs> in the wrestling industry. So, so Uno said, uh, we thought we were done after that, to be honest. I mean, even on the lead-up, we were a little nervous because originally that wasn't what was planned. We didn't know we were going to end the last dynamite of the year on this big beatdown on all the faces. And so when we came in that day and they told us that plan, we were really nervous at that because at that point we were not really a hot act. And then that happened, and they said that, like, now, if you guys remember, they took a, they took a week off for the holidays. Sure, uh, but but I, but I also want to just justify my Brandon Cutler comment again because there was a whole storyline going on in BTE that like they couldn't find Brandon Cutler and like Dark yeah, Order yeah. was trying to recruit totally, him. Totally, so like yeah. it made sense why I was like thinking it was Brandon Cutler. Now, I will agree with you that it, like maybe if if things had gone to plan, maybe that would have ended up you finding out that one of them was Brandon Cutler. And maybe you were supposed to think it was that one, but it was not Brandon Cutler in the bodysuit that night. Okay, because we've seen that Brandon Cutler knows how to punch. Brandon Cutler could work. Well, yeah, no, I know. I just thought he made a mistake. Mm -hmm. But I, I, there was a, there was a lot of justification for me thinking that that person was Brandon Cutler. You weren't totally out of line, except when you look at Brandon Cutler's body of work, in that he clearly has wrestled longer than five minutes and can throw a punch. (laughs) Well, I mean, we saw Christopher Daniels. Um mess up that uh what what's the name Arabian of press yeah how dare you bring Pretty early now on. retired sad man christopher daniels into this argument i'm and just saying that like everyone can have a bad night or one bad move in a match tell us the unsolved mystery though because it sounds like you know brandon well, cutler no, I mean, was not this man the, I mean, i'm sorry maybe i built it up too much but that's like but that is like it was not brandon cutler Right. It was it was just like some guy that they uh, it was a tall guy that they were guy. they had like probably hired group. him for body type to like move along the storyline of potentially using Brandon Cutler so you could think yeah. like okay like that could be him. They probably saw the crew of whatever indie guy showed up that night. They were like, okay, you you do you know you do this you you jump on Dustin. Um, but yeah, like but like there was also a line where Stu Grayson in the interview said something like these guys they would like. You know, they would get in the ring and they would like, and then they would like swarm the elite before we could get to them. And it's just like, do you, this is, we're supposed, we need to fight, we need to be the ones who are fighting the elite guys. Like, not you. It's so like, funny. Jackson though. can't get to us because you're like, like literally holding him down. It's, it's hilarious to me because I, I fully understand the motivation of people who are like, this is my shot. Like, I'm on TV. I have to do well. 
but every one of the creepers is wearing a mask. You don't even know who's who. So really, your time to shine should be um, performing well instead of just being like, I'm here. Like, you know, they're all wearing masks. You you can't see people's faces. Like, you... Clearly, Jenny thought Brandon Cutler was in the mix. We we as fans can't be like, oh, man, I'm so upset that this guy didn't come back because they're all wearing masks. We don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. It It's so wild to me that they're like, we have to do – we have to run in there. We have to make our mark when, like, really it's hard to make a mark when you're a mask, you know, and you're not a – you're not a main roster wrestler who wears a mask. You're a random creeper number three, you know? <laughs> yeah. I do. I, I think it's also like that was probably also a consequence of Tony Khan being a very inexperienced producer at that time. Like, I, I don't think that's a mistake that he would make today. Yeah, of, you're probably right. Of you know, like not fully vetting like what these guys are capable of before they're out on on live television. Like, if he learned anything from that, and then he learned anything from um, the Gooch in the, oh, uh, the Mike Tyson segment, then I hope I hope he's lo- he's learned those two lessons and now. No, but the, the Gooch was legit Mike Tyson's friend, right? Mike, Ty- I assumed Mike Tyson had been like, this is part of my entourage. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. I, but, yeah. I don't know. He was so weird. Yeah. The Gooch, the Gooch is like, we stand a legend. Um, <laughs> uh, for sure. But anyway, yeah. So the, anyway, I just thought that was like a fantastic little uh, thing to... To finally put a button on that weird, weird end to 2019 for AEW. Yeah, because I think I'm sure Tony Khan learned his lesson that, like, well, and, and he clearly did. Because then, I mean, ultimately, instead of Creepers, he just had people either from the roster or from uh, yeah. QT's school. But in reality, if he was going to continue the Creepers, he probably just should have used QT's school. Yeah. So you could practice with them during the week and know what they were like yeah. actually do. Yeah. At this point, he has like a legitimate pool of people who may be too green to be on, you know, like the main shows. But at least you can verify that they can throw a punch and a kick, mm-hmm. know the fundamentals. You know, like he he he's come farther along. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, he's gotten better at producing a live wrestling show two years in. Good, yeah, I mean, I, it would be sad if he hadn't. <laughs> well, feels like we've, you know, wrapped up for the day. Feels like we've covered all the, you know, important things. Uh-huh. Jenny, did you watch Dynamite, or are you just going to be forced to learn what happened on Dynamite? I will be a listener. <laughs> okay. I didn't think this dynamite was bad. On I mean, I watched it's just, it at ten. It's too late for me. At ten o'clock on a Tuesday, or I'm sorry, ten o'clock on a Friday is just too late for me. Yeah. That's we will fair. try to get her back into it. Um, maybe next Saturday night when it's on at eight o'clock. Yes, I, I can do that. That's way more helpful, honestly. <laughs> like, I guess that's going to be our movie night. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Let's talk about Dynamite, in fact. This is the 18th yesterday. Uh, Daily's Place. Almost the last time I'm going to say that. Two more times. Two more shows in Daily's Place. Although, you know what? They're going back to Daily's Place in August for a show. So early? Yeah. And they're calling it Homecoming. Weird. <laughs> just, like, just like, why? You should probably like, you stay away longer. Yeah, you didn't really go anywhere. That was kind of my my thought, but yeah, like I believe. Let me see. Like it's um, 
Because I, I definitely don't want them to just never consider Daly's Place as an option, but I assumed they would do maybe a circuit of the rest of the country before they they swung back around to Florida, or at least that specific venue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I forget. I forget exactly when it is, but I think it's. Um, but I believe it's. Uh, it's August when they're when they're coming back. Uh, but then and then they go right back out on the road again. Uh, Weird. Huh. Anyway, uh, but for now, this is uh, we got two shows left after this, and this is the last. This is the last taped show, uh, probably Yay. until they film on a boat again or something. <laughs> oh God, is the Jericho cruise happening? Jericho cruise is happening. I think it's in October or something. Oh God, the thought of a cruise. Yeah, guys. I mean, the thought of a cruise pre-global pandemic was not something that I was up for. The thought of a cruise post-global pandemic makes me feel like anyone who goes on that cruise is a total fool. Yep. Well, she was going to go harsher. Her face. I was, but then I decided not to. Now, did Speed 2 Cruise Control um, add to your cruise fear or make it less? That's that's my question. That movie did absolutely nothing for my life. I think that's probably what a lot of people who saw it in 1996 said. <laughs> I was mostly dealing with an Amazon customer service issue during that movie, so. <laughs> Don't say a princess tent includes starlights when it doesn't. Don't do it. Why would you do it? Anyway. <sighs> All right. We begin with with the cage fight. Oh my God! Tell me your Wait, thoughts. Is it Cage versus Cage in a cage? No, sadly, it was not Christian Cage versus versus uh, Brian Cage. Why in would they have done that? That would have been the better. That's the better Tony Khan. That's the See, better that, booking. But that's that's the like weird wrestling gimmick fight. This is the we're trying to be uh, live in the universe of reality cage match fight. Yeah. So this was obviously taped at a different time than the rest of the dynamite because they actually had like an MMA cage constructed there at Daly's Place. Did they go to Dana White's um, Fight Island? No, it was no. Daly's Place for sure. Oh. Um, and the match was Wardlow versus Jake Hager. Wardlow was seconded by Sean Spears. Jake Hager was seconded by Chris Jericho. Um, the the cage was six-sided, so they couldn't get sued by UFC. <laughs> um, How did Impact feel about it? Sectagon control. Maybe that's maybe that's what Impact got in exchange, or that's what they got in exchange from Impact for all the publicity they've been getting from AEW. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was like they did MMA rules. This was three five-minute rounds. It was. Um, was it actual fighting? Like was it actual hits and stuff, or was it moves? Okay. It was kayfabe UFC moves. So like arm bars and. Fake kicks and punches? Well, okay, before we get into the meat of the match, though, can I just say that presentation-wise, I was into this. I was like, look at what this looks like. They did the walkout. Aubrey had on her, um, like, just plain black polo, Mm -hmm. very UFC. Uh, I was upset Herb Dean wasn't there, but I understood. Uh, Our friend Dave said, like, oh... Aubrey Edwards is refereeing this. Not, not, uh, not official. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, not legitimate. Like, not legit at all because Herb Dean isn't there. But 
I just thought they went all out on making this look like it's supposed to look. Uh, Jake Hager had his like MMA shorts or whatever, you know, the trunks, but they're tight and with logos on them. Um, I thought Wardlow maybe should have had his own version of that because he just full on wore his Wardlow like onesie. Yeah, he wore his singlet without shoes, without boots on. Yeah. No. Yeah. Come on. Why you can you make this? those shorts just cut off the onesie part. Exactly. Yeah. Like, why didn't you just, if nothing else, wear black shorts? But Sandra you know. could have helped you in the back. Exactly. She she's looking for this stuff to do. But I thought presentation wise, it was great. And then the the little clock and the the timer countdown timer in the left hand side, and then Spears and Jericho as like the seconds on the side, like yelling and between rounds, like providing water and having them sit down. I just thought you committed to this. And I loved it. I am ready to take this theatrical ride with you. So I like that part. Okay. Let me tell you this, Megan. I like that part. Sorry, I like that part. And then I fucking like everything else. This was extremely my shit. (laughs) I I got to the end of this and I thought, Tony Khan should open up a fake MMA promotion. Except, here's, here's here's what he should do. All of the undercard matches should be real. But then the main events with the stars should be worked. So you can protect your stars. But, like, you have to win real fights to work your way up to being a star. That's what I think. Um, I wrote down, why can't we just do Brawl for All and <laughs> have a shoot fight between these two? Because they were, I thought, oh, no, this is going to be a fake fight. And they're not, like, I don't know what Wardlow's MMA experiences like obviously not full on fights they, but- they claimed that he has a background in boxing and jiu-jitsu but i have no idea if that's that's, legit what, that's what every mma fighter who comes out <laughs> has said about them uh i wasn't sure if wardlow legitimately trained in that way or if he was just called on to figure it out but i was like all right this could go really badly but i loved it like you said they they did kayfabe fighting and they made it look real enough that I was like, oh, this isn't corny in the way I was expecting. Um, I did still want there. There was part of me that said as a next. To <laughs> I'm sorry. Up, I Googled Wardlow to see if he had an MMA background and someone on Wikipedia just copied what they had said in the announcements. Nope, and- <laughs> nope, nope. <laughs> so like fake. This is from an art. It was, the citation is from an article from August 31, 2019. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah. the AEW announced team then just read the most yes. vague <laughs> background. Okay. It says he has a background in boxing and jujitsu. <laughs> That's all it says. Okay. Well, he moved. He moved in a way where I believe that, you know, like he, he knew how he, to he kind of stay like light. If he wanted to. He's yeah. also from Ohio, guys. Yeah. Did, did yeah. we know that? I think so. We no, talked yeah. about that. He talked about it on his uh, Unrestricted episode where talk is Jericho. Honestly, between the two of them, it's like, I don't really remember who interviews who. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but this was, I, I thought Wardlow did so well, and um, I that's why I'm like, brawl for all. Just let these two have a shoot fight. Let's see how it shakes out. I have a feeling Hager would would smash him in the shoot fight because he just like he'd, he'd take him down for real and probably just pummel him. But... Well, because Hager's like a current yes, MMA yes. star, you know. Oh, yes. well, hold on, Jenny. As they said, Jake Hager, they said this a million times, has is undefeated inside the MMA cage. That's right. And I assume he still is through this, right? Because I'm sure his promotion wouldn't allow him to be. He did. He did win, but let's 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 take it a little slower than that. Um, 
I really liked the story of this fight. Fight. Because, <laughs> um, like, round one, it was, I don't know how many, I couldn't tell you how many fights I've seen. And you guys have probably both seen fights like this, too, because you've watched, you've watched plenty of fights in your, in your time, you know, knowing me. We have a um, UFC background, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Octagon and, control. Yeah. And so, like, the first round was so perfect. It was, like, Hager, like, it started off, they were, like, a little tentative. Then Hager started to take over with, like, takedowns and, and like, and, and, like, getting positioning. And then, at the end of the round, Wardlow landed one big shot, and he, like, kind of stunned Hager, and then he took over. And basically, it was, like, Wardlow stole the round in the last 90 seconds, which happens all the fucking time in yeah, real but, but here's the thing. Wardlow stole the round, but we don't have... They made it very clear that there are no judges, so there's no points. So by stealing the round, he didn't really get anything because the only way to win this was via knockout submission or referee stoppage. I thought that was a mistake because... Me too. Because, I'm so like, mad. Because since they ended up doing a finish, like, why wouldn't you have just had three judges there at ringside, you know? I Yeah, yeah. like, why can't you bring in... Even just, like, members of the announce team or somebody, you know, like, why don't you have people there who have fight experience tracking? Because, sure, you're not going to end it on a, on a, you know, score, but having the realistic, like, like, Wardlow legitimately won that round or whatever, having that happen seems amazing. Seems like something we could do. So, Yeah. I don't know. I think you could have pulled in Tony or Taz or uh, I don't know what other people like in that capacity on the roster that have like MMA experience. Jim but... Ross is called um, is called MMA. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. So Tony, Jim Ross, um, Excalibur would probably be really good at calling it. I don't know if he'd be believable as a scorer, but like you could get those people in. Yeah. I thought it. I thought it was a really big mistake to. To both not include it and to highlight how you're not including it. Yeah, um, yeah weird when you like, unless you were going to do a time limit draw, like yeah. weird that you would not have them there. Just as like this could also happen. It's not going yeah. to because like we we booked a finish, but you know exactly. Um, yeah, so so that was the first round. The big the big high spot of the first round was Wardlow did like a springboard off the side of the cage and hit a Superman punch on Jake Hager, uh, Anthony Showtime Pettis style. Um, and that was great. Uh, so round two, uh, Wardlow like tries to take over. Like he, he kind of like runs out and he's like, Oh, I had this guy hurt at the end of the first round. So I'm going to go in aggressive here. And they do a lot of like jujitsu positioning and, uh, like Hager gets a triangle on him, and uh, Wardlow kind of does like a short power bomb out of that. And, uh, what was the other big spot? Oh, yeah. Wardlow hits a Hurricane Rana out of nowhere. <laughs> I Okay, so I like that because at this point in the match, I was like, I'm loving this UFC MMA-style fighting, but also it is a wrestling match. So I think that wouldn't it be, like, kind of an interesting gimmick to have somebody win by doing wrestling? Um, like, you know, pro wrestling, not amateur wrestling. And that while they didn't do that, I thought it was kind of fun that Wardlow, when in a pinch, decided, like, he fell back on the fact that he is primarily a pro wrestler. So he started doing, like, those pro wrestling moves in the middle, in the middle of, like, a, an MMA cage. <laughs> it's just, like, kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the finish came. Uh, Hager got, a, got his, like, his head and arm choke 
on Wardlow. Wardlow kind of fought out of it. Hager hit him with a big slam and put him back in it, and uh, and, and Wardlow passed out. That's so poor big boy. Ugh. Poor big boy. So it was four minutes of the second round. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know how often you can do this, but it was. if this becomes like Jake Hager's occasional specialty match, I think that would be totally cool. Yeah, I'd be supportive of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, the most interesting thing was they were about to like they were about to like touch gloves after the match and like show respect because they'd been through this you know this this war against each other. But then Sean Spears blindsides Hager and attacks him, and you can see Wardlow just standing there like he's hesitant. He's not going to jump in. He doesn't want to. He he didn't want this. He wanted to like you know he wanted to give Hager. These are props. men of honor. Yeah, like these two. But then Jericho runs in to make the save, and then Hager feels, and then Wardlow's like, okay, well, now I have to, you know, get in. So I thought that was really interesting because it's like, okay, Wardlow is still clearly heading towards a babyface trajectory at some point. Yeah. We've we've clocked in the past, you know. And which I love because Wardlow, I don't know, he's like low key become one of my faves. He just, he's fun to watch, and I, I think he dresses sharp. That's always good. But like, he looked surprised when Hager was the one to initiate the the fist bump, and I thought he was going to go for it. And you know me, I love a good sportsmanship move. Uh, so I was upset when stupid Sean Spears ran in and just tackled Hager for no reason. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, MJF made his way into the into the uh, into there and he attacked Jericho and. Dean Malenko comes in, 60-year-old uh, Parkinson's-afflicted Dean Malenko, and uh, and, and MJF, uh, you know, he, he, he teases that he's not going to do it, but he does, he's MJF's because he's scum of the earth, so he ends up decking Dean Malenko, and Dean took, takes a really good bump, um, and that brings in Sammy Guevara to, uh, to finally chase off uh, MJF, and we learn the reason for that is that in two weeks, on the return to Wednesday night, the main event of that dynamite. On let me see, when, that is that be? the the rager the re- no return rager? No, or this will be the like the fan appreciation night in Jacksonville. Oh, okay. Uh, the last one before they head on the road. So uh, Wednesday, the thirtieth of June, okay. will be uh, the main event. Will be MJF versus Sammy Guevara, which they told us is the first time this match has ever happened. Which I. I could have sworn we'd seen a Sammy versus MJF match, but maybe not. We were supposed to after the Dippin' Dots incident. Oh. The Dippin' Dots incident. Did I we get it. that? They were, they were on like opposite sides. That's right. No, I guess not. I guess maybe they didn't. You know what? I can. I can. Uh, I thought they did. I thought they got a pay per view match. Um, MJF wrestled Jungle Boy on a pay per view. Well, I thought we got. Sammy and MJF after the Dippin' Dots. Well, let me see. I can I can look this up on Profite DB real quick. While you're looking that up, can I just comment on the pants game of the people in this run-in? MJF is wearing the most douchiest of preppy, like, just like frat boy salmon pants. Like, normally you wear salmon shorts, but he had full-on salmon pants. And then Sammy, he had bright red party pants i don't know like it was just like there were a lot of loud pants in this match in this yeah. not match this post-match brawl so they've been in a lot of tags against each other but never 
and a couple of battle royals, but never, uh, never, never like a singles. So this will be the first set for singles match. Well, I hope they show the Dippin' Dots incident leading up to this. That'd be nice. It was pretty great. That's incident. Um, After that, we get a promo with the uh, the trio of Kazarian, Eddie Kingston, and Penta, and they they cut a they cut a serious promo about the Young Bucks and. and the Good Brothers, and and what they want to get done that night uh, in their main event match. Pray to your God and hope He takes your souls, because your asses are ours. That was an Eddie yeah. Kingston quote. That was Eddie Kingston's quote. Yeah, Frankie was very serious and somber about, uh, you know, as the elite hunter, he's got a he's got to project a different attitude than he does as part of SEU. It's true. You know. Um. Let's see. Next up. Uh, we got Team Taz backstage, and uh, basically he's like, Ricky and Brian need to make up, um, and then uh, he issues a challenge to Hangman Page for next week on behalf of Powerhouse Hobbs. So that's another match for the Jungle Boy Kenny Omega show, Hangman mm-hmm. Page versus Powerhouse Hobbs. Uh, that should be good. Good hard-hitting, hard-hitting battle. So at this point, uh, has Hangman Page literally had a match with everyone except Hobbs and Hook? Like, did he fight? I know he fought Cage, obviously, but did he fight Starks one-on-one? Yes, that's, how, that's, okay. where, that's where Starks uh, broke his neck. Oh, oh. <laughs> Rough. Yeah. Okay, so he's just working his way through Team Taz at this point. Yes, yeah. All right. Uh, next up, we had Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page versus Darby Allen. And this was a handicap match because if you remember, Ethan Page, decided, or, uh, uh, Darby Allen decided last week that he, even though he was told to choose a partner, he would not choose a partner. And then Sting was like, are you really not going to choose a partner? <laughs> and he was like, no, I will not choose a partner. And you know what happened? He lost. Did, did Sting really stay home? Like, yeah, surprisingly. Sting was not on the show. Yeah, it was... Uh... It was really weird. I I kind of was waiting for him to make his move, and he just stayed home. Yeah, so uh, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page are now called the Men of the Year, and their entrance video is um, still images of them with with um, captions, kind of like I don't know, like like they're taken out of Us Magazine or something. <laughs> Like just little things about them, and uh, I like always, it. You know, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Uh, I like the men of the year a lot. To be quite I honest, I do too. I think I think like I really have come around on Ethan Page and um, Scorpio. Obviously, loved him before, but I think Scorpio as a heel is really fun. He is he such is. a douchebag. And I was very resistant to this like role because it was just like, okay, so you moved him out of the SCU trio to just put him in another tag team, mm-hmm. but. It's 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 definitely won me over. Yeah, I, f- I feel like they're a team, but at the same time, it's very clear that they're they're both also just like looking out for number one. Like it hasn't torn them apart yet, but when they inevitably break up, I can see that being an obvious angle of like, well, I just want to be the best, and no, I'm the best. Like like they're working together well now because uh, you know they can both be independently douchey and still go in the same direction. Right. I'm the number one guy in the group. <laughs> yeah. So Jax. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the like the key part of this match is that like so obviously it's a handicap match so Darby was just getting dominated after a certain point and he he needed to he needed to come up with something 
So he was he managed to zip tie Ethan Page's feet together because he had, he had brought a he had brought a zip tie with him, I guess, thinking like he might have this chance. So Ethan Page was like basically trapped on the floor outside, mm-hmm. and so Darby like there was also a point where Darby did his own hot tag, which I loved. Um, <laughs> because well, prior to that, Ethan Page had like he had been beating up on him, so part of his taunt was that a beat up Arthy or Arthy Darby. He like held his hand up and like pointed at his corner and was like, oh, like mimicking, like tagging. He's like, oh, there's nobody there. There's nobody there. And so I think when Darby like kind of got out of that and and reclaimed power, he was like, check it out, bitch. I just tagged myself in. Like that's the impression I got. And then he did the full Derby Allen hot tag sequence, which was great. Yes. <laughs> um, but so Ethan Page is on the floor, and Darby just like goes into overdrive, like with with pinning attempts on Scorpio, because he's just trying to catch him in any anything he can to like, okay, I gotta I gotta get this done now. So Ethan Page like like he, he's searching under the ring, and he finds a toolbox, and he pulls out a pair of uh, like uh, what, what like wire cutters, I guess. Uh, yeah, I assume. And he clips the he clips he gets himself free from the from the zip tie, and he gets in, and then they finally, unfortunately, they finish him off. They finish Darby off. He hits him with the ego's edge, and uh, uh, this match was so good. <laughs> I really liked it. Like Darby held his own at the beginning. He, I think he double coffin coffin dropped the, both of them. Like I don't yes. mechanically, I don't think it off really second, works from out. The second rope, he did like a springboard back. Yeah. Yeah, like they could have just stepped. Both of them could have stepped to the side. Like, he would have missed them, but instead they, like, banded together and he hit them both in the middle. Um, And I have to say that Ethan Page finding a toolbox under the ring is maybe the most logical thing that in wrestling that you could find under a ring. Like, finally, that that makes sense why that's there. So I I know, I love that. that. I was like, oh, this makes sense. (laughs) The wire cutters might have been a little overkill for a zip tie. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but that's what's in a toolbox, you know? You can cut a zip tie with standard scissors, but a toolbox has, like, more hardcore stuff. Sure. But I really liked that he was like, oh, I'll just go into the ring and find a box of tools that one might use to put together a ring. Uh, next up, we had Orange Cassidy versus Sailor Bononi. This, of course, set up last week when the... Uh, <laughs> the wingman... Or as I've heard someone else refer to them as Peter Avalon's Pussy Posse. Oh, uh, God. I hate uh, it. I hate no. it. Let's not refer to them as that on this podcast. <laughs> it also, like, like I hate that. I, I don't love the word, that word. Um, yeah. But it also kind of makes them sound like they are better with the ladies than they just, like, incompetently seem to be. Like, mm. You know the origin of that term, though, right? No. That's what, like, in the 90s and early oh, 2000s, that's what, Leonardo DiCaprio's, that's what Leonardo DiCaprio's friend group called themselves, the Pussy Posse. Oh, that's really gross. It was, like, him and, and yeah, Toby and I forget, there's other people. Jake Gyllenhaal, it, but... all the ones that look the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, 90s. You give us so much and you take us. But anyway, so, so the wingmen said they wanted to give Orange Cassidy a makeover. Yes. And... I guess we assume that Orange Cassidy refused because they set up this match. <laughs> and you know what? It was short. It was a Cesar Benoni match. I can't recommend it too much, but they had a lot of like razzle dazzle to kind of like, like, uh, <laughs> you know, like distract you from those things. A lot of um, jazz hands. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. You know how you guys get grossed out by, like, when people, like, bleed in wrestling matches? Mm-hmm. I think I found my version of that. It's when it's when fake tanner is applied mid-match to someone, and then you see it, like, rubbing off on other people and on surfaces. I have issues with the tanner stuff as well. <laughs> I... Because... Uh, yeah. There was a part of this match where they, they knocked, like... Like so, like the best friends people were on one side of the ring, and the the wingman people were on the other side of the ring, and Benoni threw Orange Cassidy out on his side of the ring, mm-hmm. and the rest of them, the rest of the guys, Nemeth and Drake and, and Avalon, all like just started like giving Orange Cassidy a makeover. They they had a hairbrush and Ryan Nemeth put his jacket on Orange Cassidy. Yeah, and then, they like they like faux faux hawked him. And, yes. and and put the jacket on, but before they put yeah. the jacket on, they they, they spray tanned him. Spray tanned him with like bronzer, and it was just like I got so grossed out. Um, and I wondered why his best friends, who were literally called the best friends, did not come and save him for this because they were just on the other side of the ring. Well, you'd think that Trent would want to because he doesn't believe in fake tanner. No, it's bullshit. Um, the highlight of this match was definitely all the orange punches that Orange Cassidy got to do. Because they were all set up really well by distraction spots, and because he he got to like basically hit an orange punch on every member of the wingman, and they all took great bumps and they all sounded amazing, including uh, at the end where he hit Cesar Bononi with the orange punch, and Cesar Bononi fell like cordwood, and uh, got pinned one two three, and then afterwards, they uh, the best friends you know they all got in the ring, they did the hug, they did the pull out, and Peter Avalon wept openly over Cesar Bononi's unconscious body. I loved that so much. I love that he picked him up and, and cradled him in his arms and screamed no, like yeah. into the air. <laughs> it was so dramatic and, and hilarious. I loved it so much. It was fairly tremendous. Uh, <laughs> backstage we go and Alex Marvez is trying to interview Jungle Boy to talk to him about his match with Kenny Omega next week. And uh, before he can get there, a golf cart uh, comes by, and it's uh, it's Omega and Nakazawa and Callus all on it. And Kenny is trying to challenge Jungle Boy to a street fight there in the back, right here, right then. And Jungle Boy's like, well, I'd rather you know fight you next week and take the title from me. And this is all just a distraction so Michael Nakazawa can hit... Jungle Boy from behind with the biggest laptop that's been made since 1992. Um, they must just be pulling these out of like Jacksonville Jaguars like storage. Like yeah. remember when we used this? The yeah. analytics department used this, yeah. Um, and so then, then uh, like Jungle Boy makes a comeback on Kenny as he jumps him, and uh, Kenny runs away on the on the golf cart, and uh, and so yeah, that's that's our that's basically that's our build up to the big main event next week. A little underwhelming. Kenny sacrifices Michael Nakazawa, who yeah. tries desperately to jump onto the golf cart as he and Don Cal- like Kenny and Don Callis are are making their escape, and Kenny just kicks him away and is like, "No!" <laughs> and Jungle Boy like doesn't move on him. It's like, slow him down. Yeah, I guess I, it's a golf cart. You don't think they could handle like one more person? <laughs> it was like a six man golf cart. <laughs> Uh, after that, the Hardy family office are uh, backstage in another area of Daly's Place, I presume, doing an interview and uh, talking about Christian and what a jerk he is. And then Christian comes in and attacks, and then they they lock they lock Christian in a cage. 
And uh, then Matt. Let me out of this cage, Matt. Let me out of this cage. Yeah. No, I won't do it. Um, <laughs> uh, Christian and Matt have a like pretty dramatic back and forth about uh, you know being trapped in this cage, and and Matt Hardy tries to like give him a check and say, "Go away! Like I'm gonna give you this money." <laughs> It's just like, what is happening? Matt, Matt says he'll fund his retirement if Christian will just literally go home. Yeah. <laughs> like, I did not know why this was necessary. Whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. So, yeah. So, like, that's that's one of those matches, like, I'm assuming they're going to do at one of these big, like, arena shows, but they haven't announced which one yet. So. Right, yeah. Uh, next up, Cody Rhodes and the debuting... Brock Anderson versus QT Marshall and Aaron Solo. Brock Anderson doesn't have a body. Here's here's the thing. I, I here's where I I was going to come in on the fashion segment of this. Like one, Cody's red, gold, and blue pants. I like them because they don't have a weird codpiece section. Had to get that out of the way. Does have a Nightmare Family logo on the crotch, but you know we're working towards normal pants, one step at a time. Brock, he is not wearing the right cut of trunks to flatter his figure. You say he doesn't have a body. I think that's okay because we all have abs. Sometimes they're just under varying levels of tummy, you know. And Brock has a little bit of a tummy, but what he also has is. 80s classic trunks, I'm sure, to, like, honor his father, but they do not honor him, and um, they did not look good. They, they're they too big. They look like granny panties on, on a wrestleman, and I think that Brock's figure would look better if he had, like, a normal, like, normal trunk cut, you know? Like, not, a, not high-waisted. I think you're probably right, but he's like, it's not even that he's, he's, he's not fat or anything. No. It's just like, he has no definition. No, but like, uh, I've also learned, because, um, you know, I work with a trainer. That sounds fancier than it actually is. It's just like my one excuse to leave, not leave the house, but do activity once a mm-hmm. week. Um, but she has explained, like, you know, when you look at strong men, like Braun Strowman, for instance, they don't look in shape, but they can lift a house, basically, or pull yeah. a truck. I don't know what strong men do. Again, just throwing <laughs> that out there. Um, so, like, they're one type of body, and then you look at, like, American Ninja Warriors, and they're slim and, and whatever, and they're another type of body. And then you look at bodybuilders, and she basically was like, they look super strong, but they ha- it's all glamour muscles. Like, they have no practical, like, training as far as that goes um which makes sense because you're not supposed to look like that so i think i think brock falls solidly in that area of like i bet he's really strong but you don't see abs on him it's all it's all just like a like a soft soft midsection you know and that's okay you do you um but i don't think his trunks flatter that type of body (laughs) That no definition type of body. Yeah, definitely not. Um, but whatever. That's you know he can. There, he has time. He's he's, he's, he's he's a rookie. He can work on that. You know um, he he looked good as far as like 
He did it. He, he did. His execution of moves was just fine. Um, he got the win. He rolled up Aaron Solo. Um, so I guess that's a good way to, to get him off to a decent start. Mm-hmm. So, so far, so good on Brock Anderson. I was just surprised because when I saw him, like, in regular clothes... I would not have expected that he would just like have no physique at all. Like I don't know. Like his he looked he looked better in like a polo than he did in his wrestling gear. He did. There's a part of me that's like he looks a little bit like a lumberjack, and I'm feeling it. Um, but <laughs> but all right. I don't like his little like high waisted undies. Uh, also, I think Aaron Solo. I I'm glad we finally get to see him wrestle because I thought he made everyone. Well, I I guess Brock, because obviously Cody and QT look good. But I thought he made Brock look good. And I think that ultimately, I didn't need Cody and QT to be here. Like, they could have just sent out their new guys. And this could have been a good way to highlight young talent. And instead, we had an extended segment with Cody and QT. And I just, I don't know what that serves. I think it serves to uh, save the quarter hour rating. Because... If you at least you have Cody in a match, then you know you get less people tuning out than if you if you throw out rookie Brock Anderson and be like never been seen on Dynamite Aaron Solo. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But now that we've seen them and they've proven that they aren't totally incompetent, it'd be nice to to use the Nightmare Family and the Nightmare Factory or the Factory now to then push forward their younger members. You know, like this is a good way to to have more established people be around, but also, like, can we see your protégés? Can we see who's moving forward? Where's our Lee Johnsons, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> Nick Camarado was hanging around. I didn't know if he was going to get involved, but he just didn't, you know, which is fine. But let's push forth our younger talent. Yeah, well, you know, like, hopefully they will have enough confidence to do that here in the future. Uh, next up, backstage, uh, we got Lance Archer and like kind of just like roaming around. And his, he's, uh, his... he's so bored, Andy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jake's like, this guy, he's, he's doesn't have any patience. Like, he, you know, like let's do something. It's basically like what we say about Lance Archer every week. You know, like that was the whole promo. Uh, no, no, no direction teased. Just like we gotta do something with this guy. <laughs> and it's Lance, like, okay, like... we'll do something. Yeah, Lance like yelled and like left the the screen, and Jake followed after him. But please, can we give this man who is large and knows how to wrestle something to do? Like, yeah, come on. Uh, next up, we got the sit down interview with uh, Andrade uh, El Idolo and Jim Ross, and it, it was, I don't know. It was just like it wasn't much. It was basically he said like he has a surprise. That was the, that was the gist. Now I had a question about Andrade I like does he speak English because it didn't seem like he spoke a lot of English but I feel like he spoke more English in NXT than he did here he speaks he speaks English um, he's not fluent fluent but okay. he's conversational and I think it's just that they're more willing to just let him talk in Spanish, and then put some titles up than WWE was. Okay, because it wasn't... It was almost like I was wondering if they were playing up his Spanish-speaking more, or if he actually was not as fluent as I remembered him being, but uh, he seems like like he 
doesn't speak a lot of English, which is fine. It was just kind of like, I was surprised. I was expecting him to like cut an English promo here, almost. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like not really too much of this. I, I, this is one of those things where I feel like they're kind of holding back for like larger buildings and live crowds and stuff. Which is fair. I, I think he did say, like, Jim Ross asked him, like, why are you with Vicky? And it was like, Vicky has wrestling history. She, you know, is in the family. Like, I, I think that it was nice that they tried to establish a reason why he, he would align with Vicky right off the bat. Right. Because the the entrance, the initial, like, debut was a little weak. But I think they're trying to bring that back around. Why do you think they debuted him? early if they weren't going to use him I don't know I, I really wish now that he's been you know he's done three things in three weeks I kind of wish they just waited for that like that Miami show or something mm-hmm. you know yeah because I feel like whatever big pop he was going to get he's already lost steam from it yeah I do too I think I think at this point it's going to be harder for him to like get going but he's really good so I think he will but uh, it's just going to be a little bit of an uphill battle I mean maybe they showed him as a potential like appearance because if you don't know he's around you're not going to sell tickets off him and also maintain the surprise so maybe just knowing knowing he could show up this will be like a a motivator to to buy AEW tickets in the future when did they put the miami tickets on sale i don't know but miami is a heavily latino market so that makes sense and he wears a suit like he wears that suit yeah he wears a suit it was was another good suit this week my god um next up we had uh, Dark Order backstage with Hangman Page and Alex Marvez, and uh, you know he Hangman accepted the, the the challenge from Taz for Powerhouse Hobbs for next week, and then uh, Hangman Marvez said that you know um, Jungle Boy is the number one contender and Kenny Omega is the champion and they're fighting next week and you're the number two contender so this has like big ramifications for you and Hangman immediately changed the subject to like John Silver like his is coming back soon and, and Five's got a new jacket and all kinds of stuff. He did not want to talk about this. And when I said earlier that AEW has one storyline that I really love right now, it is this. It is that Hangman is clearly scared of meeting the moment and doesn't believe that he can beat Kenny Omega. So it freaks him out that he's like so high in contention. Because he, because he, because he, he, right now he doesn't have the confidence that he can that he can beat Kenny for the title, but eventually he's going to have to. And I love that they're showing that he's happy and part of a group because it's so easy to be like, I don't need to do the challenge, like I don't need to face the hard stuff. I, I'm good here, like I can live here in yeah. my content life. It's oh, they're so good at this long game, and mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. And I, I can't remember specifically, but I know there was at least one other segment very similar to this a few weeks ago where it was another like thing where he was in high contention and, and, and somebody asked him about it and Adam just kind of blew it off. So um, they are this is a consistent thing. Yeah, he just wants to party with his friends, the Dark Order, and, and be happy. Yeah. Uh, next up, we had the Dynamite debut of Julia Hart. Uh, the cheerleader of the Varsity Blondes taking on uh, Nelby Ford. And it was okay. I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't anything special. Nelby won with a, uh, a, a bridging death lock uh, yes. that she kept on for a very long time and she would not release it. 
uh, and uh, eventually uh, she did, and the Miro came out, and he was just like, Where, where's, where's Kip, Penelope? Where's Kip at? And uh, Penelope looked freaked out, everybody looked freaked out, Miro got in the ring, uh, he got in the face of the Varsity Blondes, and the upshot of this is like there was a big brawl between him and, and Brian Pillman Jr., and in, I think, on that show in two weeks, or maybe it's next week, either one of the next few weeks, uh, Miro versus Brian Pillman Jr. for the TNT title was signed. Yes. I, I love that Miro declared himself God's favorite champion. He did say that, yes. And that he also just decided that the excuse for him to be there was that uh, I'm fighting for Penelope's honor, obviously, because yeah. she's she's one against three when, like, the Varsity Blondes did not make any moves to help Julia at any point. Like, it was a very fair match, you know? Like, it was just one-on-one. Uh, so that was a fun thing. Miro is scary, and I love him. And I also think that, you know, cred to Julia Hart, because she's only 19, which blew my mind. And for someone who is newish to to Dynamite, she didn't seem like so green she couldn't function. Like I thought they had a good match, you know, like she held her own and yeah. and Penelope may have carried her a bit, but she didn't look totally like a disaster like in some of the old days of of green wrestlers that we've had on the show. So I just wanted to cred to her, you know. Yeah, she did a good job. Uh, after that, we've got uh, Britt and Reba, Rebel, and Tony backstage, and they're about to, I don't know what they're about to do. They're about to talk they're about They're just something. hanging out. They're just, just hanging, hanging out. out. Yeah. And uh, Vicky interrupts whatever is about to happen and uh, and basically gets in Britt's face and says that Nyla's, Nyla deserves a, chan- a match, and she says that on the Tony Khan owes her a favor because she brought in Andrade El Igolo. So the favor that she she's decided that her favor that she is calling in is that she and Nyla are going to team up against against uh, Britt and uh, Rebel on the uh, June 30th return to Wednesday Dynamite. I don't know. I don't know why that's happening, but it is, and, and yes, and that is also. I just I'm just seeing in this this recap. I'm looking at this. That it's also when the Miro versus Coleman match will be. So okay. I'm not psyched about seeing Vicky Guerrero in a wrestling match. Hopefully, nope, I, hopefully it's a swerve and they do something else. I mean, Brit and Rebel literally left this conversation by cracking up and being like, "Oh, okay, that's fun, like hilarious," yeah. and then just walking out. So they don't take her seriously either. Yeah. I did like that Vicky uh, told Britt that she smelled of uh, onions and cheese because of the burgers, which yes. I, I initially I was like, wait, what What kind of weird insult is that? And then I remember <laughs> Britt loves McDonald's. So. She's what? She's Big Mac a week? Is that right? I, she, she frequently posts about Big Macs. That is bananas to me. That is Cheat bananas. Cheat I, I guess that's true, but like, man... Man. She has zero body fat, so it it, it, it does seem bananas. Yeah. Uh, Jade Cargill and Smart Mark Sterling, her lawyer, are backstage, and they're talking about how well uh, their sponsorship business is going. And uh, you can get a discount code for I don't know what, but if you use the discount code uh, DATBITCH, 
then um, you know you get something, I guess. Anyway, I, uh, yeah, why wouldn't you like? Just yeah, type would, it into your browser, like at the end of URLs. <laughs> yeah, I would like to see Jade do more wrestling stuff, but I, I do. I think that these two have good chemistry together. I do too, and I think Jade, like they can push off her wrestling because she demands like a worthy opponent. Which I mean, I don't know if she's like quite ready, um, but you know, Red Velvet has made her look good. Um, the other lady she faced, who I can't remember her name, made her look good. Kyle King. Kyle, yeah, okay, yes. So, like, I wonder if she's putting in reps um, on Dark and stuff, but I hope eventually she does start getting out there and and kicking ass, because she looks, she has the look. Like, her muscles terrify me. They are beautiful and <laughs> intimidating and, and all of those things. So, yeah, get her out there. But um, also, I think it's smart to wait until she definitely can deliver you know you don't want to make her look stupid absolutely and that takes us to our main event uh Uh, yes you you texted me specifically about ftr and proud and powerful oh yeah this for some reason this was not written about in this recap that's terrible uh there was a video recap of basically of like the proud and powerful versus ftr feud with new interview footage from both teams and it was maybe the best video that AEW has done all year. It was absolutely fantastic. I watched it, and I couldn't fucking wait to see them wrestle. They did not announce a date when that match was happening, but um, I'm assuming they'll do it on one of the big arena shows, too. Uh, this is great. You were saying to me that, like, you know, you know, Proud and Powerful is so underutilized, and our hope is that this, is, this will be the match like the showcase match that gets them back up into the rankings. And, and I really, I really think that they could be on track for a match against the young bucks at all out at this point. Yes. Yes. And uh, like they showed clips of them debuting. And I just thought back to when they pulled those dead president's masks off us being like, uh, who like, you were yeah. like, I think they're called LA. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. none of us knew who they were. And like, how far we've come because I I really really like them and I think the more mic time they get the better because you know Ortiz initially he he did Tiger style which I love but like he didn't have much dimension to his character and Santana I think the more he talks the better because he just keeps he's got away with promos he personalizes things it he's very good so like I love the two of them I'm glad that they're doing well and then FTR also. I don't know, like, I didn't have many positive feelings about them in NXT just because they, like, weren't my bag. But um, I think they're cutting really good promos against Proud and Powerful, you know? Like, I think I think one of them said that they spend their money on fancy denims, and that really popped <laughs> me because that was hilarious. Um, so I don't know. Like, I think they're doing good as well. So mm-hmm. I am excited, and... Um, I like the through line that they're they're weaving here with having FTR say, you know, you've become complacent, proud and powerful. Like we want to face you, but we want to face you at your best. Like we want you to to have your heads in the game and be ready. And I I like that framing. I like that storyline. I like that they're hungry for competition. So I just think this could be like a good like all out fight whenever they get around to it. So I'm enjoying it. Yeah, so 
also like they're very they're very like loud on Twitter about uh, being uh, pro Pride Month and everything. So that's cool. Oh hell yeah, that was amazing. Loved it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that does take us to our main event for the week. Uh, Matt Jackson and the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson and uh, Doc Gallows, versus Penta, Eddie Kingston, and Kazarian, the Elite Hunter. And uh, I don't know, like for a match with Matt Jackson in it, I was like, it's a little, a little underwhelming. I thought, you know, I am so distracted by the way Matt Jackson. And even to an extent, the Good Brothers in this match, like, I don't really care much about them, but Max Jackson has chosen to make himself look like such an idiot. (laughs) His wardrobe choices, his hair choices, I'm pretty sure he chose his outfit straight out of the Attitude Era for this one. Like, it was just, I'm like, Matt, I get what you're doing. He was wearing, like, the Triple H leather beret from, like... Yes, backwards. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the earring he had to specifically take out before the match because I'm assuming he was worried it was going to rip out and, like, hurt his earlobe. Oh, it just... <laughs> I, mean, I know Yeah, I know what he's doing. I know he's a heel. I know he's trying to look like an asshole. But it's so distracting because he's succeeding so well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like, the gist of the match was that uh, Nick Jackson wasn't around and... Mm-hmm. Don Callis on commentary, of course, was basically saying, like, well, he's got, like, he's got, like, Hollywood stuff to do with some, some bullshit, like, I don't know. What? Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, but then at the end of the match, of course, uh, Nick Jackson shows up, like, sprays the cold spray into Pentagon's eyes, and, uh, and which allows Carl Anderson to get the pen with a, a diamond cutter off the top rope. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, like... I'm getting a little bit weary of like all the interference in these in these like young bucks matches now. Yeah, it's like because they've gone heel, they they like swing too far on the pendulum of like you can still have legitimate wins. You don't need everything to be yeah. an interference. But uh, this was also the match where the crowd piped in noise really pissed me off because at one point there was a chant that was piped in mind you and it was you you suck you 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 suck and i was so angry because the effort required to create that to make that so that you could pipe it into your match oh like don't play with my emotions that's true because like that's i don't think that's that's never been a real chant right so they had to completely manufacture that yeah like what are we doing here people that pissed me off do you think that they're like trying to like train the upcoming live audiences that that's something that they could chance with the young bucks? Honestly, that's a very good point. Perhaps <laughs> knowing it was taped, I don't know. It just it made me so mad. I'm like, are you trying to be WWE at this point? That's so specific and annoying. Um, but yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe they just want to give fodder to the upcoming live crowds. Yeah. So yeah, so the bad guys win, and uh, we don't really get like much follow up. We don't know what's what the what the outcome of this is going to be. But um, I guess I guess I just want like some for, more forward momentum on this elite storyline, and maybe and maybe that's another thing that they're saving for you know being in their normal time slot and being in front of fans and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I, I hope that a lot of these things get accelerated once we're back to normal. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, at least part of it is the long game with Adam because I think he has to be the one to to swoop in and kind of bring the group back together and, like, take them from the darkness, you know? Like, he has to beat Kenny and then be like, remember when we were all friends and it was good and, and we weren't being dicks? Like, let's get back to there. So, Do you think that that's where they're heading? Yeah, I mean, in my head, I, I hope that's where they're heading. I don't know that realistically they are. I just want to see everybody's ha- happy. And I know that doesn't make a good wrestling show because conflict is inherently required. But I wanted the team to get back together. I wanted them to be happy and I want them to come together as like ultimately a face team. Right. But that could also take a very long time. They're good at the long game. It's just yeah. the Adam component of that means like I don't know how how quickly these moving forward with like the team aspect goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is, uh, that's dynamite. And I liked the show overall. I thought it, I didn't love the main event. I thought it was kind of, just kind of there, but I love the MMA, uh, fake MMA match. Oh, yes. That was so good. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, that, and that's going to do it for us for this week. Uh, next week we've got a Saturday night dynamite. So I'm assuming we're going to record on Sunday. Um, Another early that. morning. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah, then and then we're going to be back soon because then the next dynamite is on is four days later on Wednesday the thirtieth. So. And we're like normal time from then on, right? Like we're yes. moving for okay. Yes, there's nothing on the books that'll move us from eight o'clock on Wednesdays. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I guess. You know, in closing, thanks everyone for listening, sticking with us through this long show. Uh, we had a lot of news to get through, so uh, I'm glad because we had a good conversation about the ticket sales and like rampage and all all the stuff that's coming up. Uh, so I'm glad we did it, but uh, we just had to put the time in. And uh, but anyway, yeah. So thanks for listening. Uh, for Megan and for Jenny, I am Andy, and thank you for listening to the Elite Beat. E Elite Beat. E E Elite Beat. <laughs>